All right, Inappropriate Earl, back in the house. Been a busy week. Uh, last week, we had the great comedy writer, Julie Seabaugh, come on and talk about 15 years of writing stories about Attell and the New York comedy scene, roast battle and all that good stuff. And then the man for our 200th episode. 200. 200 episodes. Wow. I had the guy who helped me buy all the podcast equipment, taught me how to edit, the great Ari Manis. And now for the 201st episode, it's tough to follow up the 200th episode, but you got to do it. I don't have a musician on. I don't have a roast battle comic on. I have a great friend and a great comic. You've seen him on David Letterman. He's got a special coming out. The he got a podcast with Tom Papa. You've seen him in Montreal just for last with Artie Lang, Ari Shafir. Give it up for the super funny... Paul Morrissey. Hey, thank you, Earl. What a buildup. Lois finally uh, is taking a liking to me. Well, I don't know about that. She's bitten uh, six people in this house that she's taken a liking to. Oh, so okay. Just no quick movements. Lois is cool. She started under the table, and now she's up on the couch sitting next to me looking to chime in. I don't know if she's going to try to throw a fat joke in here. Or no, what? no. I mean, she's looking at, you know, this is uh, this is not the Joe Rogan podcast, so we are uh, audio only. But right now, Lois is sizing up Paul. Okay. Uh, she's literally staring at him right now. She's not going to buy you, dude. Okay. Lois, come on, man. Chill. <laughs> Mellow out. She's in an attack position, but she's cool. I feel like I'm crossing the border somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, with Trump, you probably will have to at some point. <laughs> Shout out to Donald Trump for not saying anything racist today. It's been 24 hours. I mean, he's out of control. Is it? Uh, as a comic, do you f like having Trump as president? Well, I feel it's just uh, tough in general to do anything, <laughs> anything remotely political because everyone is sizing you up because there's only two sides now either either you either you like racist stuff and you support that or you don't well got me on tv and so <laughs> i'm a fan well but do you feel that i know i know there's a lot of famous comics that do huge theater shows that used to do q and a's at the end and you can't do it anymore because the first question is about trump or politics and whatever you answer, you lose half the room or depending on your your area, you know, it's like, I don't know. How do you deal with it? Are you, I, uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I talk about 80s metal, which is why I haven't been on TV a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have one joke I do that, uh, you know, it starts out saying I voted for Trump and instantly the crowd, like the whole crowd goes silent yeah um and then I, basically the punchline is he's given us the first lady we can jack off to right uh and then they're back on board but I th that lead up to the punchline is like they're all looking at me like they hate me yeah yeah like, I, mean, I mean i had a joke uh i did on i think i did it on tv where and I'll do it, you know, I'll do it all over the place where it was just about like, you know, how I'm pale and people wanted me to do the spray tan. And I said, it makes me look like I stuck my face in a bowl full of Cheetos, which is an odd look, you know, oddly presidential these days. And, <laughs> and so, and it gets this weird, like people kind of laugh and then they kind of don't. And then it kind of 
releases tension. And then I kind of at least say, hey, I thought that's the one thing we could all agree on either side. He's got a weird orange face, you know, like in that. And even that is like you're kind of like dividing people. So it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to try to grandstand about, you know, because then it's not about comedy. It's about politics. But then you have to talk about what's going on. So it's it's tough, man. It's people are super sensitive on both sides and um you can't really win with with uh you know the way way things are right now you know it's very tense i mean there's a freaking missile (laughs) missile alert in hawaii yesterday well listen all right now for those of you uh lois is now on board and spread eagle line up against paul so i think she farted too uh, no, that was me. Oh, that was you. Um, that's the great thing about having a dog is you can, if you have guests, you can yeah. have bad gas. Like, uh, it's the dog. Um, well, he's such a divisive president that, like, you're right. You either love him or hate him. So any joke, no matter if it's for or against him, you're going to lose half the crowd. Right. And I'm not a. Here's the thing. So I'm not a political person because I'm just an issue person. So if someone sounds like an idiot on either side, the thing that's stupid about <clears throat> if you're on a party, like let's say he, when he said the thing about the shithole countries, right? And he's right. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> well, let's let's so so put yourself in a position where you're in his party. You've got to defend him saying that, right? So basically, there was three guys in the room that said I didn't hear him say that. They didn't they didn't say he didn't say it. They said I didn't hear it. So, and then two days later, he says, you know, and then other people are saying, well, he's kind of right. And they defend him, you know, like on Fox News, they'll defend it. Of course. And then a day later, Trump will say he didn't say that. So then they defended this racist thing that they didn't have to defend. So it even makes good people sound like racist assholes, you know? Well, even with the... The grab him by the pussy tape, the uh, Access Hollywood. He came out a couple weeks ago and said, that's not my voice. Right. That's like, come on, dude. And people, and so that's the whole thing is like, you don't think that people honestly don't believe it. It's almost like, remember when, uh, like the Grateful Dead, there's people that are super into the Grateful Dead. You might like one or two songs. Deadheads. Right. And then you can't just like one or two songs. You got to like... I can't believe you don't think they're the greatest band in the world. And so it, it's these two camps of like this. They don't want to back down on anything because then it makes them seem like they don't believe in him somehow. I don't, I don't know. It's it's growing up in New York. He was always a joke to me. Like he's the guy who, you know, tried to try to get a football league. He owned the New Jersey generals yeah, with, uh, I think and, Reggie White and Doug Flutie. They had a good team. Herschel Walker. <sighs> And uh, they, it was like a summer uh, football league, and he was the idiot that said, hey, I think we should uh, go head-to-head against the NFL. And they got destroyed and bankrupt, and he tried to sue the NFL, and they gave him the least amount of money they could give you. I think it was $3.50. $1. Oh, it was $1? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, in Atlantic City, he opened five things that all went bankrupt, so he made Atlantic City worse. He owned the plaza and it went bankrupt, which is like one of the best, most historic hotels in New York. So he's always been a joke there. And, you know, I don't I don't know what 
what it is about just having your name out there that that uh that does you know if you hang out there long enough i guess people believe it i'm not sure i mean i think he's like gene simmons from kiss like they're buffoons in the sense of like they don't care what people think about them on the surface anyway like Mm. gene loves pitching kiss toilets and kiss coffins and condoms and mini golf and and you know the music is like 10th on his list well the whole thing about you like you'd be embarrassed to sell t-shirts and cups and stuff after your show it's it's um it's degraded yeah but they see it as no this is i'm selling me so i'm not embarrassed at all about this right yeah i mean he sold water there's trump water (laughs) i mean i mean everything you know to have a university and all these things you're just trying to make money off a name that should not be worth anything you know like the fact that you want to put your your name Artie lang used to do a joke about i think it was in the roast of donald trump that um you know uh he drove around his daughter in atlantic city and he said some someday all all this whole city will be yours you know your name will be on every building as long as you marry a guy with the last name borgata <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I honestly think uh, he didn't think he was going to win. No, I and it, I think it's come out that he didn't think so either. So like, I think he thought, oh, just it's like an, almost an ad campaign for whatever he's got going on next. And then he did. Yeah, pre- it's always been from who knew what Mar-a-Laga was before yeah. uh, before he became president. And who cares? Really, it just it really hurts me because I'm from a small town. So it's like all these idiots buy into that and they they he wouldn't let them into that country club. He wouldn't let them. He does. He's not one of you. You know, he's he's like a rich person that rich people don't hang out with. (laughs) Yeah, he's literally like, uh, you know, Ted Knight and uh, Caddyshack. Yeah, it really is. It's like just this snobatorium. Yeah, (laughs) he has his own porterhouse. Right. <laughs> uh, now you're from uh, Owego? Yeah, Owego, New York. Owego. Sorry. You're Googling. Yeah. No, no, I got your website. I like to, <laughs> I don't want you to think I'm like just what, going on uh, some heavy metal site while you're talking. I just, <laughs> I try and be an informed. Uh, now, that's not the same town that the LA Kings Dustin Brown is from, is it? He's just the, yeah, the next, he's from Ithaca. Ithaca. Yeah. yeah. That's the same exit. Well, he might be in Buffalo sooner than we think. Oh yeah, it's well, Kings are hurting right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, lost four in a row. But he's still been. only like what twenty? He's still young. He's uh, probably closer to thirty now. Oh really? But he's having his best year in like five years. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of weird because we, you know, even from upstate New York, is not a huge hockey place because there's not a lot of like nobody builds arenas like we had. The farm teams, the Binghamton Whalers when I was growing up, and the Binghamton Rangers. But high school teams were like club teams because hockey's expensive. But in Ithaca, they have Cornell University, which has this like state-of-the-art hockey right. thing. And that's what I think Dustin even went right from high school to the pros. Like That's a pretty rare thing for like an American player, right? Or do they... Well, he was... Uh... He was playing when he was 18 in, like, the minors, I think. Yeah, I think he started off. I don't know who the Kings farm team was at that time. I think it was Manchester. Yeah. Uh, the Manchester Monarchs. And then he, uh, you know, he played, uh, you know, the Kings were, like, the Kings were very, uh, 
weird in the 2000s they were good they were bad and then you know i just judge it by the video game i still uh blades of steel <laughs> yeah blades of steel well, that's when and, they were uh who's what was the front line of that one was it a well, uh, blades of steel you Blake? Gr gretzky uh i think uh, uh who was on the i think granado and sandstrom sandstrom i remember yep sandstrom very dirty player who's the red-haired guy <laughs> the, isn't there a big red hair guy i mean there was blake probably blake yeah back at that time frame but you know the sad thing is like the kings uh because it's around their 50th anniversary uh they're bringing back some of the players from years past and they brought back sandstrom recently mm. now if, if you know who thomas sandstrom is and i'm assuming you don't uh you know he's kind of a good looking dude back mm. in the day oh my god dude it was rough like, yeah Oh, dude, he just—you could tell—he's—he just doesn't look good, and yeah, you know, like they brought back Jay Wells, who was like a kind of a good-looking dude, who I think was fucking Genie Bus back in the day. Oh, really? And he's like white hair now, and you know, liver spots, and it's like, oh man, high def does not do these guys justice. <laughs> well, that's so. what—that's what, what kind of helped hockey a little bit was these—you could play in these southern states. So you have a little bit better lifestyle. Like I know every one of the Ducks and the Kings all live on the beach out here. They all live in like Hermosa Beach or Manhattan Beach because it's like a, the lifestyle that they, you know, I'm sure the minor league hockey lifestyle in northern Canada is a little rougher than Hermosa Beach. <laughs> well, it's great because you get the best of both worlds if you're, uh, and I know the, the Ducks probably live in the nicer, like Irvine or something like that. Like, you know you're famous you make a famous person's uh income but since hockey's not exactly like the biggest sport mm -hmm. there's a certain level of anonymity you probably like yeah yeah like you go to edmonton and i think we've both been to edmonton yeah shout out to <laughs> sarah zakow uh, our fan from edmonton but like edmonton's a fishbowl so like if you're Connor mcdavid you can't go to the 7-Eleven without talking to eight people about the Oilers. Right, right. Yeah, I did a show in... I bet uh, you did. <laughs> ...in Ottawa, and there was like... If there's a guy from any hockey team, it can be... <laughs> it doesn't have to be the Senators, but it was like... <laughs> if a guy's home for Christmas break and he plays minor league somewhere, like everyone knows who he is. Yeah, like it's if you're crazy. Chris Neal, who's a third, fourth-line guy in the Ottawa Senators, but he's popular because he's a fighter, like you're like a movie star is in in la like yeah you chris neal can't go to tim hortons or <laughs> wawa if they have wawa i don't think any hockey player can go to tim hortons that's like double famous you're in you're in canada with coffee and uh and playing hockey that's every stereotype all together because they had mike richards who uh you know he had had a bit of a downfall but like uh you know, he lived in Hermosa, nice house. He said, I can walk my dog anywhere. No one knows who I am. Mm -hmm. They won two Stanley Cups, and people still didn't really know it was Mike Richards. So if you win two Stanley Cups, like in, say, Philly, where he, we got him from, it's like you, you literally couldn't go anywhere. Now, so you live in this area. I live in West Hollywood. Yeah. It's a gay area. There's no doubt about it. No, I mean, uh, so as far as like recognizing people, there's definitely that's one of the cool things of L.A. is you can run into somebody that might have been like a huge deal to you as a kid or like oh, somebody yeah. you recognize 
Now, do you find that when you see somebody, you're like, I think that guy's famous. Is it about his face or is it about like he's got some kind of like high end stuff going? Even if he's like dressed down, you can kind of tell like, oh, this guy has got some money. Well, I have you might say I'm almost autistic because I have this amazing i'm not a very smart guy you know you know b and c level student but you grew up here right grew up here so i'm you know oj was my neighbor kareem so i've been around famous people my whole life Mm -hmm. you know my dad's country club uh, was more actors than athletes like mac davis to me like it's like to be like 12 years old and the See Mac Davis was I love Mac Davis. I don't even know who that is. Incredibly famous country singer, but he was also, if this is for you older fans, the quarterback and I think the greatest sports movie of all time for realism, North Dallas Forty. What? I how do I not know who this guy is then? Well, he's uh you know, he, he was famous in the 70s and, and early 80s. Yeah, but I dig all that stuff. I'm. Have you seen uh, any of that Mike Judge, the Tales from the Tour Bus show? I have not. Oh, no. my God. You'll love it, man. It's a. It's basically like, you know, because Mike Judge is a genius, but he's like, uh, you know, everyone was talking about how these rappers and everybody try to, you know, like Snoop Dogg killed somebody or he went to jail. And it ends up not being true or something, and uh, and most of these guys actually did kill somebody. Like like Johnny Paycheck shot his bass player, like during during a fight, and like uh, you know George Jones like drove a tractor to his show because he was so drunk. Like all these crazy Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, you've heard all do the a thirteen year old. Yeah, his cousin. I mean, like. This whole Me Too and Time's Up. It's good thing it wasn't in the seventies. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Ted Nugent was like the fourteen or fifteen year old wrote a song called Jail Bait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, but if you he he does like a different uh, episode on all these different people. It's awesome. Well, I was, and I'm a big Mike. Judge you guys, yeah, you got to see. It. I don't know why more people. It's on Cinemax, I think. But I don't know how it's so under the radar. It's my favorite show this year. But that's what it reminds me of. He's a guy that like, oh yeah, like uh, who's the other guy that uh, Norm Macdonald loves? Um, the great Adam Eager. <laughs> no, the, there's a country singer that's like, oh, uh, Shaver. Uh, I'm not a big country guy. I'm not against it. I just don't know much of the. Uh, is it? It's not Earl Shavers, is it? There's Earl, uh, there's uh, Ernie Shavers, the boxer. No, no. <laughs> he was my, one of my of favorites. It. But like, I saw Willie Nelson uh, like a month or two ago here, and he played one of his songs. It's like that kind of guy. Right, right. Chris Christopherson kind of, you know. like. But there, there's a, I mean, Mac Davis is very much in the Chris Christopherson mode where okay. if you're an acting fan, you know Chris Christopherson. Like my, one of my favorite movies, it might be my favorite movie of all time is Convoy. Oh, yeah, that's great. Because there's a great story behind, you know, it was, uh, I think it was Sam Peckinpah's last movie, but he was so coked up out of his mind and he wouldn't leave his trailer that they had to uh, bring in James Coburn to mm. direct it. Oh, okay. Uh, and like uh, most of the scenes with Chris Christopherson and Ernest Borgnine were just improv because they really had no script, <laughs> you know, to work on. And so James Coburn would basically be like, well, you guys take it. We're going to roll. So uh, just 
I don't know. Yeah, I got. I love. That's one of my things I've done in the last year or two. Is just I watch all these great '70s movies that everyone talks about because it was really like just outlaw filmmaking. Like even like Popeye, they went to some like islands that nobody, <laughs> like nobody could get to. Like it was just mayhem the whole thing. Like the set is still there. Like I think it's like a vacation destination now but it's like there's so many drugs going on and just oh, everything man. went went crazy well that like you know i i love sports movies from the 70s because so just, what's your okay so if that's your top which i do disagree with well but i well because it was basically based on i like realism in my movies mm-hmm. like i know it's a fictional story but like north dallas 40 was Written by Peter Gent, who played on the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Mac Davis was essentially playing uh, Roger. No, it's it uh, Don Meredith, mm-hmm. and then uh, Nick Nolte was uh, I forget the receiver who who was with Meredith, but it, it was like kind of real, right? And it was a real and the coach G D Spradlin, mm-hmm. and, like he was also the coach in One on One with Robbie Benson, right? Right. <laughs> Like, it kills me that more people don't know who G.D. Spradlin is because he's, like, he's basically playing Tom Landry. Right. And that's a 70s thing, too, that these guys that were amazing what would be character actors now. Like, I think right. I think Tarantino and, like, there's definitely shows that have helped those people, you know, like Deadwood or something. Like, the, you find, like, a guy who plays, like, a really great, like, villain. Powers just, Booth. Yeah, he was great, too. But, like, the guy who plays Swearingen on on uh deadwood it's like right. they wouldn't have found that guy i mean it's just you know but Slapshot is another like well i mean that's that's what i was gonna because i'm not a huge huge hockey person i'm a sports person but i'm basketball is like my first love and i my goal has always been to do like a slap shot version of basketball so and i think they've never gotten a good basketball there's hoosiers which is like a straight up good basketball movie and then there's white men can't jump which is a good comedy movie but they've never done what Slapshot did because Slapshot, that's what minor league hockey was back in the 70s it was jungle hockey like, right you literally you had maybe two guys who put the puck in the net mm-hmm. and then the rest were gorillas to protect those two guys Right, and, like you know, it's how the Flyers won two Stanley Cups. Yeah, through sheer intimidation. Yeah, so that part that that was great, but then what? The great thing is you get Paul Newman, who's but, Academy Award winning actor. You get George Roy Hill, who just directed Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and does this hockey movie, and that's what makes it like a great movie. Like those, all the film aspects of it, like great actor, great director. And then you've got this great and funny script. Like, that's what I think is missing in a lot of sports movies. Like, what's your favorite football one? Uh, North Dallas 40, but that's by it. far. Yeah. Uh, just because I, you know, like, to me, the probably the best actor in North Dallas 40 was John Matuzak. Right, yeah. Because he Sloth. lived it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a pro football player in the 70s. So mm-hmm. he knew about... You got the sense that like that one party scene where he 
you know, is drinking booze out of the this huge chandelier, and and Bo Svensson, who's like his partner in crime in the movie, is basically assaulting a Playboy playmate. Like, <laughs> and Mac Davis and Nick Nolte are smoking weed, and, and like the two guys are fighting to impress the girl, and they end up double teaming her. It's like this is what a Cal- Dallas Cowboys party was like. <laughs> like it sucked you into like, and then the the one. Uh, the black, uh, the running back, I think, who was an NFL player in real life, he said he got blackballed from the league after the movie. Tommy, oh, really? I might be saying his name wrong. It's either Tommy Beeman or Tommy Reeman. Oh. Uh, you know, he didn't want to do uh, take the needle the whole movie, and then when he hurt his knee for the big game, he just looks at the needle and says, fuck it. And then, you know, they shoot him up. Yeah. So he can't, you know, and then I'm, you got the feeling that really happens. In yeah, life. yeah. So... Uh, I mean, I also like The Longest Yard, which isn't necessarily uh I mean, it's a football movie, but I love movies like that. The 70s sports movies to me were made from the character actors that were in it. Right, right. Uh, like Nick Nolte, amazing actor, but I thought John Matuzak was just, he wasn't acting. Yeah. It's like, this is what happens. Yeah. Have you ever seen White Men Can't Jump? Yeah. I mean, it's a funny movie. Well, the guy, so the guy who... uh the guy who they they play against that robs the liquor store to get the money, Marcus Johnson. Yeah, he. I think he's the greatest athlete actor ever. That 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 is like the Matuzak thing he said. Like he he's he's being himself, but he's also amazing. I mean, I, I mean, I, that's t- let me see the greatest. I mean, uh, wow, that's. I mean, there's definitely a lot of guys who became full time actors, but I'm talking like a one off. You know, when they try to throw uh, LeBron James in the train wreck, like, obviously, he just looks like he's reading lines. But, like, Marcus yeah. John- Marcus Johnson, I honestly had no idea that was him because, you know, he's a little older and was had kind of a beard growing. And you just, you know, he's swearing and stuff, which most athletes don't do to kind of protect their brand, you know? So it's like, it was just kind of cool to, to see him like that. I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, like, there was a couple of athletes in the longest yard. I mean, uh, Ray Nitschke, who was the, uh, the sadistic prison guard. <laughs> they kept throwing the football in his nuts. <laughs> you know, I mean, he didn't have a lot of lines, but he was like, he was very believable as a, a dick prison guard. Yeah. Uh, I got to watch it again because I'm trying to. I mean, there's so many great. Do you still follow like football now? I mean, I'm a huge, huge Steeler fan. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just I don't know. Uh, it's going to be some changes in the coaching staff. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I I don't like to be one of these guys who sits there and says, "Dude, I'm a Giants fan. You don't have to tell me. I'm I'm in the bottom of the barrel right now." So. But like, we're comics. I don't feel I'm qualified to sit there and say to Todd Haley, who's a football genius, this is what you should do. But I don't get running the ball wide on Jacksonville, who has the quickest defense in the league. Like, yeah. I, I, Maybe, okay, well, they don't think we're going to do this, so let's run it. But I just, I, I don't get that. Well, that's the problem with, you know, with football in general is the whole uh, overcoaching aspect of it. Nobody wants... Nobody wants a guy like Peyton Manning that can just go out, call his own plays, or Brett Favre that can just sling it. Coaches want everything calculated. Like they do these, they do the plays for next week, the the week before. 
every play they know they're going to run in this situation. And it's like, when, when has that ever worked? When has that, <laughs> when has that ever been a good thing that you don't call the play at when you're actually reading something? And it just takes all the freedom and all the, you know, look at a guy, guys that can run, guys, quarterbacks that can read a defense. You're just taking all that stuff out of it. And you saw, what was the, the Falcons game? Like, they ran that play the last game, and uh, Matt Ryan's just rolling right, and there's nothing else he can do. They they had this one play to throw to Julio Jones. If he's not open, then what? But nothing? I get that. Like, to throw to Julio Jones, like, it's pro- I mean, I, I think Antonio Brown's the best receiver, but, like, yeah. at the worst, he's the number two. Some would say one. I get we got to get it to him. Uh, Which, by the way, it went through his hands. If you watch that, like right. the, that, mean, uh, that, that Vikings uh, was the guy. He made like nine catches better than that Julio Jones catch that he should have made in the end zone to win a playoff game. I mean, he probably should have caught it, but like I, I don't want to turn into one of those guys. He should have caught that when I have no, ver- you know, I have no vertical. I don't like it when people tell me how to do stand up. Yeah. I mean, that don't do it. But if it the rule is like and you know I did work in sports and I can cover it and uh, I covered the Raiders for a couple of years and so like being on the field the rule always is if you can if your hands are hitting it you should probably catch it and if especially if it went through both hands it, it was definitely a difficult catch but it was a it was a makeable play I think it wasn't like oh they should have run another play he was open and he almost caught it he got his hands on it that's all you can ask for yeah i mean he, you know i don't know i just i hate those people who <laughs> criticize when they don't do the like like an audience member will come up to you and be like hey you should have yeah. done this joke i'm like uh what are you talking what do you do for oh yeah thing? yeah so i don't but i just i don't understand the steelers uh like the first five i think the first four or five plays they did were uh passing plays it's like you've got yeah. the best running back in the league by far mm-hmm. i mean although the guy from jacksonville had a pretty good game for now but like you like you're not using your best maybe your best player on the team for the first five plays well that's the whole thing the decoy like they uh you know i mean just imagine all the even with the college championship like you're gonna you're gonna put in a freshman that hasn't played all season in the, in the biggest game of his life and just hope that it works out like that could have bi- backfired completely and everyone says that Saban's a genius or whatever now because it worked out but man that was uh did you watch that I did I mean I was there was a guy I was at a sushi restaurant I'll give these guys a plug they don't give me anything but I know the <laughs> owner I mean I like to give back sometimes you should give and not expect to receive. A lot of you roast battle comics should look into that. Uh, Sushi Ya on Sunset, owned by the great Glenn. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, that's where I watched the game. And there was a guy next to me who had like 20 grand on uh, Alabama. Like, uh, Oh, no way. So they had to win. I don't know if he had what the, his situation was with the points or whatever, but mm-hmm. like uh, all they needed to do was win. And to watch 
God, I wish I would have YouTube. I, I would have gotten 10 million hits. Every play, this guy was up, down, up, down. I don't know if he was coked up, mm. but it was fascinating to see like a degenerate gambler. <laughs> and uh, who missed the field goal in the fourth quarter? Didn't it wasn't one of the last plays. Didn't Al, did Alabama miss or did Georgia Alabama miss? missed, but then he redeemed himself and kicked the one in overtime. Right. But the, when the guy but missed miss the it, first yeah. field goal, yeah. this guy, <laughs> someone shot him in the balls. Yeah. Because like, he thought, oh, they're going to win. This is it. And then and then when they won, I, the guy was running around high-fiving people. He's oh, like, I'll Jesus. pay for your meals. I'll do everything. <laughs> like, yeah, great. Yeah, that's the craziest thing. And, you know, well, that just goes to show you, like, so so over time you get four plays, right? So they're already planning all these plays out there. They need a field goal to tie it, right? So, uh, so Alabama, first play, what'd he do? Uh, I think he... I think he threw a, I think he threw like a, a just an incomplete pass. Second play, he gets uh, sacked, fifteen yards back. Now they're not even in field goal range, so it completely changes all their plays. And then that's when he goes deep and they win the game. So that's the whole thing with all the over coaching is like just read the game and see how it plays out, and then let your players win it. You know, that's the great John Wooden man. You. Uh, you practice, teach all you can in practice, and in the game, John Wooden sits there silent, almost never said anything during a game because he just let his players play. Well, I used to sneak into the Wooden Center and play basketball. So oh, yeah? I used to tell him I went to UCLA and then <laughs> snuck in there for two years before they finally uh, clued in on uh, I don't think this, this guy's a little old to be going to UCLA. Yeah. So wait, where did you go to school then? I went to, uh, well, I'll, I'll do a real quick breakdown. This is about you. They're not about my well, school. Well, yeah, man. but I mean, there's. I'm sure the fans want to know. Or All three of them. Or do uh, background checks. <laughs> I hope they don't do that. Uh, I went to Good Shepherd grade school, Beverly Hills, where I was the most dominating athlete in the Beverly Hills school system. Because <laughs> I've been the same size since fourth grade. Yeah? Literally, like, maybe not as muscular or developed, but... I never grew after the fourth grade. I mean, <laughs> I was so big that they thought they were going to have to take out my pituitary gland. What? Because they thought I was going to be a giant. Oh, yeah. Because my head's big. I mean, my, I do have a big head. And I'm not, not trying for to... comedy. I think it's well for, he... for comedy. It's perfect. <laughs> I don't want to get you going and, you know, roast battle me. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I just didn't stop growing. But like being this size in grade school, like we would play tackle football. No, it would take three or four people to bring me down. Yeah. In basketball, I was like Shaq. You you would just give me the ball and right. just like layups. Uh, and then uh, I went. So I thought my. So you peaked early. I peaked early. And then like my, I'll never forget my first day at Notre Dame High in the Valley, Sherman Oaks, Riverside and Woodman. Nice. I feel like Brody now. Yeah. Uh, I live close to there. Yeah. So you driven by. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought I was going to dominate because mm. I had never seen any kid my age, my size. Right. I just thought I'm just going to go to high school and get all the pussy. And cause I'm and my first day at a freshman orientation, there were these two black kids, six, five, six, six, you know, pretty big, you know, they were probably 200 pounds. I'm like, uh, what grade are you guys in? <laughs> and they're like, we're freshmen. I'm like, Oh fuck. <laughs> we're, we're the golf tryouts because I'm. I think I literally played one day of high school football, 
my mom wouldn't sign the insurance uh you know they had some weird thing at the end where it said we're not responsible for your son's death right and she's like you're not doing that shit uh, <laughs> And then it's bad enough when Earl dies. I'm not taking the yeah. fucking bill for it. So uh, <laughs> that was my uh, athletic career in high school. Was one day on the freshman football team. Really? So you didn't get to play anything at all? Just golf. Oh, really? And that's I was wasn't the best golfer back then. But my dad had a membership at Bel Air Country Club. So the coach. Yeah, was if like, you played at all as a kid, you're decent enough to get by, right? I mean, I was good for uh, someone who didn't practice, and my swing was very unorthodox. Mm. I had a very short backswing, <laughs> but uh, it was effective. Yeah. Like, I had, like, Rain Man strength to hit the ball pretty far. Mm. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I probably wasn't good enough to play on the team. No. Um, you know, this, I mean, CIF, which is the, I forget what that stands for. Uh, the, uh, that's the, like the NCAA for high school. Right. Right. It's like the central, uh, federation. Fed, yeah. Cause it's private schools, not public school. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, well, it's weird. We did play my freshman year at Notre Dame high. We were the number one team uh, in the country in baseball mm -hmm. cause we had Jack McDowell. Oh, wow. Jesus. Which was fascinating to see jack mcdowell pitch at a high school level right right like he was literally 95 miles an hour in high school yeah and just these kids were just like just completely overmatched right right so uh that year we played some of the black schools in football and we didn't do very well so i think after jack left uh we dropped down a few divisions. <laughs> Sorry. We, okay. We don't have Jack doing 95 heaters anymore. Yeah. Let's go to a, you know, and it was still a good level we were at, but yeah, you know, like we were playing modern day in football, which yeah. Yeah. You know, for you, uh, high school, uh, sports fans, modern day is pretty good. Right. In football and basketball. And we were just, you know, overmatched. Yeah. That's the, that's the cool thing you know about working in sports and kind of covering it is that you do get to see a lot of those younger people and like i covered aaron Rodgers in high school he went to chico high school so i saw him play in high school and he played for this little junior college butte college in northern california before he went to cal and did you know like seeing him in high school no not at all that's the whole crazy thing is he didn't even you know they would have recruited like butte was a pretty good junior college but if you go to college four miles from your house, it's not like you're setting the world on fire. And I don't think he even started until he was a senior. Right. So it's definitely a late bloomer. And definitely when he got to Cal, somebody saw something in him and was like, this guy is prototype. He has the arm. He's got, you know, because it's funny. There's a There was another quarterback in that area. His name was Ricky Ray. And he played at Shasta College where Jason Seahorn went. That's the only other guy. And this guy ended up, playing i think unlv or reno and he's been in the uh canadian the cfl for like 20 something years he just won the great cup again this year he's like the top 10 passers of all time and in the and uh you know so ricky ray has more yardage than aaron Rodgers right now <laughs> but i mean it's so weird like in high school and like uh you know, look at Tom Arinovich in, in high school. Yeah. I mean, he was like maybe the greatest high school quarterback ever, mm -hmm. like based on his high school. Uh, and then, you know, he did pretty good at SC. And then the pros, he was a 
complete. I mean, like he had a few good games, but basically yeah. a bust. Well, I mean, that was, and I had him on my podcast. Actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, what is your podcast? Uh, the Alley Oop Podcast, which is no, I don't do. I haven't done new episodes, but I've had I had uh, Artie Lang, Jim Gaffigan, Larry Miller, like a lot of a uh, lot of great. I've had a couple of sports writers from LA. One of my buddies uh, that I did a. Uh, I did a commercial for uh, the CP3, the Chris Paul Nike uh, I had a pair. I had a pair. <laughs> and I was a reporter. I played a reporter. and uh, But a couple of the other reporters were actual beat writers for the Clippers. And my buddy Dan Wojcicki, who's, uh, he works for the LA Times now, um, had him on to do like a bass. Because all that stuff's kind of fascinating with um, – with, uh, with the sports and, and just covering the teams. Like we were talking about, uh, you know, all the stuff that's going on with the me too and all the, you know, and you, you're like, wow, what's going on with athletes then? Cause that was already, those were already a lot of stories. Right. So when I covered the Sacramento Kings, I, I can't really say like names and stuff like that, but a guy that I knew was playing for the team and it was his rookie year. And he went to nightclub uh, brought this chick back to his room. Um, went to the bathroom. Came out of the bathroom. His wallet, all his clothes are missing. And then he's freaking out. Doesn't know what to do. Uh, five minutes later, knock on his door. Opens it up. The wife of one of the veteran players on the team has his wallet. That was your test. You learn the lesson. You don't ever bring a girl back that we don't know about because that's it's a whole culture. Like you can't even hook up with a girl. That's why all these guys end up hooking up with the same girls in all the cities because they're like pre-approved to not be gold diggers. Or it sounds like you know. a show I've been on. In the past. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, who's got to be more com- careful than like a young, rich athlete that you know? Well, I mean, that that's like. You know, now it's hitting the comedy world, you know, which is not to be unexpected. This <laughs> male comics might be the horniest species on earth, but I've always like, when's it going to hit the music world? Yeah. Like, I mean, look at like we were talking about in the 70s. I mean, Kiss has a song called Christine 16. You think Paul and Gene wrote that uh, in a writer's room? Uh, probably from personal experience. <laughs> yeah. A winger going to, into the 80s their only hit was 17 right right um, you know ted nugent jailbait uh even the beatles was the s- s- 16 right wasn't that they had uh i mean don barris would be the guy to ask <laughs> no, no he's like a beatles freak uh i'm not yeah but like you know jerry lee lewis uh you know uh i mean i i'm surprised it hasn't you know, you think the guys from Motley Crude and fucking underage girl backstage and that Dr. Feelgood tour? Uh, the Heroin Diaries? Yeah, for, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Nikki Six could say, hey, I was dead for two minutes. I don't remember <laughs> anything. I mean, that's a good excuse. But, like, I'm surprised it hasn't hit that world. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, like, just going forward when every everyone kind of knows what's expected you know that's why the whole jeter thing is so amazing that like he basically hooked up with every hot chick in new york city for 15 years and the only story is that 
he gets they give him gift baskets, I think. Did you ever hear that story? Yeah, I mean yeah. Gets, and there's a Bernie Williams jazz CD in there. Did you know that? That was one of the big perks of <laughs> Bernie Williams is a pretty good musician, but <laughs> but like I think if you treat these girls like like I've been interacting with women for almost thirty years. I've never once been a dick. I've never once been inappropriate, like in terms of like, you know, if I, uh, I'm shy actually. So if I throw it out there to a girl and they're not interested, I shut down instantly. Like, mm. I'm like, oh, okay. You uh, got to be wanted. Like, that's so creepy to, if you're trying to like, if you think that asking a girl nine times in a row to go out with me and then she finally says yes, if you feel good about that, then you, that's kind of. Well, I just, uh, I'm like, to me, it boils down to my shyness, but like, I, you know, uh, I think in recent uh, situations, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, everyone's in big trouble if bad dates can now be thrown under the the Me Too movement of, like, you know, you, I mean, no means no, for sure. Like, yeah. At any point, if the girl or guy, now I don't picture too many guys saying no, uh, you know, Jennifer, stop. <laughs> uh, but I've definitely had, like, people that were, like, super aggressive and maybe drank a little bit too much, and you're kind of like, this is a bad scene. I need to get out of this. Like, maybe, Oh, my God. You know what I mean? I mean, I've had situations even... Before I started comedy, I ran with a real wacky group of dudes, like all agents and managers. And, and these guys got more girls than any group of men I've been around since. Uh, I had to leave the room a few times because I was like, uh, you're too drunk. I'm, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing that, you know, everyone's kind of sharing their perspectives, which is good. And I think now, I mean, the only thing that you can hope for is like another girl that's in the situation that... Uh, the girl that was on Aziz's date will be will not feel self-conscious about just getting up and leaving if you're not comfortable like that's what you you hope that that the yeah I mean that situation I, I've I, you know he's kind of come out and somewhat gave his side of the story mm -hmm. um, like that sounds like a bad date like it, it was a rush dinner he was trying to get it in took her for some booze and uh, hors d'oeuvres right. They rush back to his pad. You know, I mean, she says she gave him oral a little bit. He was aggressive. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he was being creepy. She acquiesced. Uh, acquiesced. <laughs> she, like, did a little bit of thing with him and then didn't like it. I mean, I, you know, is, is I mean, you know, I, I could see both sides of the, I, I don't know. But there's also the thing of he's famous. I want to just hang out with this guy. I don't want to sleep with him. So what is the there's no expectations, obviously. But what is the, you know, it, it's it's there's there is no there's nothing good that came out of that date on either side. Obviously, <laughs> you just hope that um hope that both sides that are, you know, that are that are thinking about it now are, are just like, hey, I feel I feel free about like if I'm not comfortable I can just leave. I don't feel pressure just because this guy's famous or this guy's rich or maybe he's going to lock the door on me. <laughs> you know, like you've had those situations with the Uber drivers, you know? I had a guy that picked me up from the airport that was basically like had my my suitcase was in the back and he was mad at me for like 
<laughs> where I came out of the airport. And I was like, I would get out of this car right now, but my suitcase is in his back trunk, so I can't leave. So yeah, I, I mean, stuck, you know? uh, there's all kinds of scenarios. Uh, you know, I've tried to never put myself in that position. Like, you know, I mean, but it's, it's now it's like, I think everyone's so like, I'm trying to picture what went on in that house or apartment that night. Like, mm. like he's, I guess, licking his fingers to put inside of her. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like if this is before or after she yeah. somewhat blew him, uh, you know, it's like, I'm trying to go, okay, let me look at it from her eyes. Like, it sounds like he was making her feel uncomfortable. Right. But she did something with him and then walked it back. And, and that's the case. He should have stopped. Yeah. But, it, you know, I wonder what from his eyes, he's going, okay, well, she, she blew me a little bit. Maybe she wants it. I'm just trying to play both sides. I don't know. Right, but the the obvious thing is like to Aziz, this was gonna be hookup, and for this girl, it definitely wasn't. So the the signals were misread on both sides, I think, because you know. Well, it I agree, but then whose side do you like? Like exactly, you know, this could ruin yeah. his career. Yeah, and and also you know that's the. That's the like. That's kind of the reason I I mentioned that story about the NBA thing because like, you know what? This isn't you as a young free single guy anymore. You got stuff to lose, so you got to be careful who you bring into your circle. You know what I mean? Like you got to be really self conscious of. I mean, like you have two or three, you know, security guys, and you know it's very tough to bring a girl in here without being shaken down and background checks and well i mean i've got uh roast battle season one money <laughs> i've got the jellies money <laughs> showtime i'm dying up here money i mean i got a lot to lose <laughs> but i feel like it's gonna be the storyline in like every sitcom or tv show next year if it's not already that it's like hey this isn't a conversation that everybody needs to have and like these are going to be the guidelines from here and out. If you're not comfortable, you can leave. Don't be a creep and try to force somebody to do something if they already say no, you know. And I've, ne I've never, been, like, uh, I had a conversation with a female comic. She's awesome. And she was, like, blaming it on society and, and, and the industry for allowing it. I'm like, I still think it's on the individual. Like, right. Like, but, but it's just the 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 t dude five years ago gay marriage was like a huge deal and now it's like <laughs> you know no oh, yeah now it's like if you're not gay it's like you're creepy you're straight yeah. <laughs> so um, it's just like you gotta adjust to the to the uh to the times and it just it's like remember the there was a day that saying oriental wasn't right anymore and i felt it and I even said it out loud once. I was like, yeah, that sounds really old and racist. I'm not going to use that anymore. Well, with Trump in the White House, I mean, Oriental's like, you know. Well, that's the, well, that's the problem is there's not too many people under, you know, over 70 that aren't, haven't been racist their whole lives, you know? Like, and 49. <laughs> Look who you're talking to. <laughs> Got me on Comedy Central four nights in five days. But you grew up next to OJ, so... Well, I grew up in a very racist environment, like, uh, you know, Bel Air in the 70s. 
you know, I've told the story a few times, but I had a black, uh, I don't want to say chauffeur, but he was like, my dad was away on business a lot. So I had a black uh, caretaker, if you will. Mm-hmm. He would drive us to school in Beverly Hills in his green Dodge Charger. So I oh, keep, so your dad went all out for the driver, but not the car. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, Leroy had to bring his own car to the. <laughs> but I, we were pulled the over. First Uber. Yeah, Leroy. He really, he really was. <laughs> Candy in the center console. Uh, but we got pulled over more times than I can count because here, here, white kid in the back, black dude in Bel Air, you know, and like, uh, you know, I. The country club was just as racist. I mean, that's the first yeah. time I heard the N-word was up at the Bel Air Country Club. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and, my, you know, some of my neighbors were like, you know, they didn't uh, exactly think too highly of Leroy being in the hood. Yeah. Uh, you know, the garbage men were black. Right. You know? And I had, had so little exposure to black people as a child you know that when a garbage man would come up i would literally stare at them like they were aliens because i just was like wow you guys are a different color like right who are you guys where do you guys live yeah Yeah. i mean i grew up in a small town too and there was two two black guys in the whole town one was the chief of police and one was the mayor (laughs) (laughs) so it's like so it's like yeah i'm not exposed to them but they're not less than me or so i think just from that perspective you know and it also it made me feel good because my dad my dad was a basketball coach and a golf coach and like new york state like hall of fame uh coach and uh his dad built a golf course in upstate new york and uh one of the things that he brought in a african-american groundskeeper Uh oh yeah and that was like 19 I don't know, 30s, 40s. And oh, uh, sure. that was like, you know, that was like he he had to like convince everybody and say this this guy was the best man for the job and would do everything like went out of his way. And that made me feel good that it was almost like kind of in the family that I was on the right side of history even back then when it would have been easy to just not try to do anything to help. So um so yeah i think that that uh you know seeing that you see that it's wrong right that's the exposure to it oh but i mean at the time i didn't like looking back at the country club days which was really my first socialization into like groups of people like i was i mean i was always popular in grade school and high school like just because i was funny class clown type of deal but you know i i felt more accepted at the country club because it was like you know, you play golf with the other kids, you know, these rich people or whatever. So you kind of bonded with them. There was no chicks up at Bel Air Country Club. Uh, so, uh, but that, that was- does give you like, at least for a little while as a, as a, a kid, you see yourself as a little bit better than people. Like if this guy isn't in the country club or is this guy, how come you don't have that? that kind of car or do you does it not affect you well my mom who was for the furthest thing from a country club person i she gave me the perspective of uh she actually said to said this to me when i was like 12 she's like always be humble treat everyone the same because there's always someone in the room with a bigger dick (laughs) and like i didn't know what that meant (laughs) like i'm not doing a joke to you but like i literally the first couple years I would look at people's dicks like I would be like, okay, he looks like his dick is bigger than mine. I should be nice to him. 
look now he's got a covered wagon (laughs) being a little not much but a little smarter i'm like she's right there's always someone better than you in the room like in terms of like uh, superficial things right like you know there's do i have a nice car yeah Mm -hmm. but then you see russell peters right right. comedy store a lot with a double wing to fucking you know phantom rolls royce and yeah and then you see joe rogan come in with you know a, a limited edition you know porsche you know uh so uh i was raised almost the best of both worlds where i got to grow up in a spoiled country club environment but i didn't become i never thought of people like that i thought we were all the same well that's good because i you know because there but there's there, there's got to be a moment that you kind of learn that though right because was it just your mom telling you, or yeah? Because you don't you do feel gross, like even in comedy, like if you do something because oh this guy's got money or this this person's rich or like I I kind of cleared that out because I've been thinking about this story. I worked at a I worked at Rutgers basketball camp when I was like in high school, I guess, or it might have been early college. And they're supposed to be like, you know, it's cool because you get to play against all these NBA players like while you're in college and all that kind of stuff. It was great. But then uh, all the kids are like, there's a bunch of like rich kids there. There was like one guy was like supposedly uh, like a billionaire's son and all that kind of stuff. And so part of you and you had to wait for like the kids parents to come. So you're just like out front waiting for this kid and uh, you don't know which one is like the super rich kid. And they told me like, oh, yeah, this limousine's picking up this kid. So the whole time I'm trying to like ask the kid like questions like, who his dad is to try to figure out if it's like some, you know, like Bill Gates or something or anything. And the whole time I'm just like, you know, asking about the money, trying to figure out like how, what it is. And then, uh, I find out, uh, the kid, uh, his dad's just a limousine driver. That's just, his- <laughs> <laughs> that's why I got picked up in the limousine. <laughs> so it like really taught me this lesson. Like you were treating this kid different or trying to like, right get an angle on money when you know it's not it shouldn't matter you know what i mean oh yeah i mean uh, i mean my dad was like the rodney dangerfield character in caddyshack like right <laughs> you know, he would show up his shirt would be inside out he was a diabetic so like he always had to have uh, sugar oh like, really? like so he'd have chocolate bars in his pockets for four days i They'd thought be- you weren't supposed to have sugar he had some weird kind where he had to feed, oh, really? like he had to, he had a sugar uh, deficiency or some weird like hypoglycemia. Yeah, he had to cool. have like the sugar from a Hershey's bar. Oh, really? Would get him going. Yeah, it would maintain his level. So he would literally have uh, chocolate bars everywhere in his pockets for days. Of course, <laughs> they'd fucking melt. So he'd <laughs> eat what was left of it and then wipe his shirt. Which look like I mean his uh his white golf shirts look like uh shit spackle toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> so he would show up to Bel Air Country Club with like chocolate all over his shirt. That he is, didn't care. But that is the universal sign of like money. A fat slob. <laughs> like no matter how skinny you are, if you spill chocolate on your shirt, you feel like a fat slob. Like even if you're if you're in great shape. <laughs> My dad was. I mean, he was. He, was a, he had a pro wrestler body. He was a yeah. big guy, but like, you know, I I just. But he he would let the caddies uh, drink beer with him in the cart. Oh and yeah. Like, you know, one time uh, 
James Garner, who was a you know younger people won't know who he is, but he was like a big fucking actor. Yeah, yeah. You know the uh, Rockford Files mm -hmm. and many. He uh, pulled his car up at the same time my dad did. My dad was standing. Uh, you know, I don't know what he was doing. And uh, James Garner thought my dad was a fucking caddy. <laughs> so he's like, "Hey, boy." Once again, the country club lang lingo. Uh, go take my bags to the first hole, and so he takes. My dad actually took his bags to the first hole, <laughs> and James Garner gets there and goes, "Yeah, I'm supposed to play golf with Jim Skakel. Do you know where he is?" He's like, "You're looking at him." Like, <laughs> so I was raised to treat everyone the same, like yeah, uh, which is how I do. I treat Russell Peters no nicer than I do Boone Shakalaka, yeah, who is the homeless transvestite who sells merchandise at the comedy store. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's just how I, I was, it was a weird, my parents were strange, but effective, right? Your parents, strange or effective. <laughs> I got a piece. So while I'm answering this, well, you, you have to make sure you're recording still. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this is the 201st episode, Morrissey. And by the way, Adam's probably going to listen to this episode because he thinks I got Morrissey on the uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, you're you're his second favorite Morrissey. You haven't figured. I think they figured it out by this point. Yeah, they probably talked have about any of my lyrics. Uh, tell us about Meet His Murder. That was uh, so. <laughs> my parents were strange. You think growing up in Bel Air, I'd be spoiled or snooty? I, I actually the furthest thing from it. Your parents. They are, my parents were, my dad was a gym teacher, basketball coach, uh, chimney sweep. <clears throat> um, what else? They started the, the youth soccer league in our town. Uh, I'm trying to think. My mom was a retired oncology nurse. She worked at Burger King for a couple of years. She had every... She cleaned houses when she was younger, supporting us. Like she, both of them, super hardworking, uh, great people, and that's why it's it's always almost like a guilt feeling as a comedian to not uh <laughs> to not be working like nine jobs and doing other things. Like my mom is seventy this year. She's run the New York City Marathon. This was her twenty fifth year in a row. Like she puts. She puts more into marathon running than most comedians would put into comedy, and that was like her hobby. Right. So just just two really solid, like hardworking people. So it was like, you know, uh, growing up, it was just you're in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in upstate New York. So all you have is your friends and sports, and you know that's when comedy becomes your, you know, oh you get HBO. Wow, you can watch. The young comedian. That's why those first couple young comedian specials and the Sam Kinison, Rodney Dangerfield stuff are all my early influences. Like Dice know? when he was on the Dangerfield. Dice, I remember, but like remember Bob Nelson, yeah. like did the football, like the football helmet, and they ran that stuff into the ground. But I, I definitely remember um, there was like a Drake Sather, uh, David Spade. Oh. Remember that, that, uh, young comedian special that, that Nick was Schneider like, may have been Schneider on was on one of them. Yeah. That's, uh, like those were like huge to me. Like that was like, and I didn't know that was a job at that point. You know what I mean? Like right. if you say you want to be a comedian in upstate New York, it's like, you want to be an astronaut or a wizard or something <laughs> like, like, it's like, oh yeah, you can do that with your free time. 
but um but yeah so i didn't know you know you knew carlin i guess was like a full-time comedian but there was nobody that i there was no comedy i never went to a comedy club until i moved to california so yeah it was a pretty regular so so my my uh thing was sports when i was a kid i was small didn't play football played soccer as a kid baseball uh basketball and was decent you know my dad was a coach so i would just be along the sidelines during practice all and then all of a sudden like seventh eighth grade i started getting really good at basketball just good with hand eye stuff and kind of reading the game and i think i made the freshman team in his eighth grader and then by the time like i was a jv player i was kind of like the leader like the scorer of the team you know and we had a great high school team, like one of the top in the state. We went to Ireland when I was, we played like the national team in Ireland. So, uh, so I was all state in high school and had a bunch of scholarship offers and played in college for, for, uh, and almost played overseas afterward. My, my only other pro, uh, contract was for the Washington generals. I could have played for the generals, which is the team that gets beat by the Globetrotters. <laughs> and, uh, Looking back on it now, I wish I would have done it just for like one season, just to do it, just for the experience and the stories, you know. Now, d- did you play on the comedy store softball? Uh, not softball, uh, basketball team or league? I played. Well, we had a team uh, that was called Sean Kemp's Kids. Oh, it's a <laughs> lot of kids. Put a rubber on it, dude. And that was what Adam, Adam Ray, Jeff Die, Jeff Keith. Uh, trying to think who else was Jeff Dye the center. Um, we had a couple of taller guys actually. Oh, Jesus. Um, but then, yeah, I think I played with the comedy store a couple years. It's definitely a uh, just a fun thing to do now, but um, but yeah, I took it really seriously like my whole you know, up until like 22, 23. And I was a coach for a season, I was assistant college coach. And then that was when like Sports Center became like this huge thing, you know, like Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, and being funny on the air and stuff like that. I was Chris like, oh, Berman. yeah, I was like, oh, that would be cool to have that job because that's the job I wanted after I was done with my NBA career. And now that the NBA career wasn't happening, I could just go straight to <laughs> straight to the broadcast thing. So that's what I did. I worked at a like a local uh Binghamton affiliate like as an intern and then got a job with Fox Sports in Phoenix and uh got like an on-air job with the ABC station in Chico and I would cover you know like you know high school stuff but then I covered the Raiders with John Gruden and the Sacramento Kings uh you know and so I got to do a bunch of awesome stuff and that's actually what got me into comedy because I was a sports guy but I wasn't a performer so I wasn't that good on the air. So right. I was like, oh, yeah, I went to like a comedy club one night in Sacramento just to see like, oh, maybe maybe I'll do like some stand up or something that'll help me. And it just so happened that the woman running like the open mic ended up being the head writer on the Ellen DeGeneres show and won like 20 Emmys. And she's like a super famous writer here now. So I met this perfect person to like get me into comedy. And within like a year, I was making more money doing comedy than on TV. So I quit my job and moved to New York City and just did comedy full time. So, yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> and by the way, I'm back from my bathroom break. Yeah, I yeah. Want to, it was a, you know, uh, 
I mean, you look deep in thought. What were you thinking about? Well, I was thinking. Uh, I didn't mean to speed through it. No, I no. I don't know what's interesting to people because some people are really interested in the stuff before comedy because they can't imagine, like the people who know me from basketball can't imagine me ever being a comedian. And the people in comedy can't imagine me ever playing basketball. So it's like these two, <laughs> these two kind of conflicting things that will never, you know, even when I go back home now, I'm no more as like, oh, he played for Binghamton University. He was a starting point guard instead of, oh, he's on Letterman or, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it is funny that way. Well, I mean, it is weird uh, being in both worlds. Like when I was on the Comedy Store softball team, I saw comics who I didn't think were very athletic be great yeah. softball players. Like, right. Uh, you know, Brenton Biddlecombe, who is an awesome dude at the Comedy Store, uh-huh. uh, a very funny comic. He was our best player. He was the yeah. center fielder who could literally... He was like Kelly Leak in the mm. Bad News Bears. He, <laughs> like, he would be the guy who any ball in the outfield is like you get it because none of us can get to it yeah uh so it is and you know the few times i play i used to play uh, basketball uh with a lot of people who were from the that comedy league mm. and you know you saw guys like like dave taylor yeah who i've known for you know 10 years you I, don't, I never really thought of him as athletic he's a great basketball player yeah like, yeah or great like in terms of you know college or a in, in comedy terms of comedian yeah right because uh, that's the whole thing too is like as much as people lie about credits people lie about sports and it's you know as a guy who you know i played even a, in a small college the amount of time and all that all the stuff that's against you to even play four years of college and all the practices and all that kind of stuff and for somebody to say oh yeah i played at you know, there's at least 20 or 30 people have said, oh, yeah, I played at this college. And I say, oh, where? And then they'll they'll tell me. And then immediately I know, oh, you're lying or right. you're making it up. Or you played in an open gym once against guys on the team. Like there's a really like weird thing, you know, every, in baseball, too. You know, Charlie Sheen is still convinced that he could have played in the minor leagues or something like that because somebody told him once he had a good arm or something like that. Like it's really an overinflated thing that like, Oh, I hurt my knee, my junior year of high school, but I would have, I was getting recruited by, uh, you know, like everyone, everyone's convinced they could have played pro. (laughs) Well, I'm like that too, though. Like I, I know. No, no. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's guys that really believe it when they tell you right to your face that they played on this team. If I would have grown up in Canada, (laughs) <laughs> or, or somewhere that um, was a little more hockey friendly. Yeah. I know I would have been in the NHL just based on, like, you see my many trophies. <laughs> for my, I have an NHL. I mean, I have so many hockey trophies. I like have to, you know, scatter them all throughout my house. Mm-hmm. I have an NHL style slapper. Like, right. And, and my wrister is, but, you know, I, I didn't grow up. You know, in L.A. before Gretzky, there was two skating rinks yeah. in the whole fucking city. But there's also the point where you play against people at that level and realize that you can't play at that level. Like, that's what most people don't have. Most people are like, I played against the guy who played in the league once and I think I can hang. It's like, no, 
bring the ball up against a guy who played at North Carolina right. for two years and see, you know, like guys that I played against, you know, I was playing against NBA guys when I was in college. My, my highest, my highest, uh, high school game was against Bob Sura, who was like a 15 year veteran in the NBA. And I had 35 points. He had 37, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> there was a, lot, was a lot of defense, <laughs> but, um, but even then I was like, well, that was before he played at Florida state for four years. So I'm not going to claim I was as good as Bob Sura. I was just, it was cool to be able to play against those people, but oh, sure. You know, I was a good small college player. And, but at, at the end of that, like, you know, what, what was I expecting, you know, but I, ha I have friends like there's an ABA team now in Binghamton and one of my buddies, this guy, Ralph Bucci played overseas in France and a couple other places after college, like same, same kind of level as me. And, uh, played overseas for 20 years. Now he's, I think he works as a postman in town and he plays ABA games at night and he's in his, you know, <laughs> he's been doing that for 20 years. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, crazy. Uh, it's weird. Like in, in this, and uh, you still play hockey. So not as much, but no. I, uh, you know, in the summer, uh, Mitch Callahan plays with us. Now this is my ball hockey league, which mm. is, you know, uh, deck hockey. Yeah. They call it deck hockey in the East coast in Canada, but it's very competitive. Like, yeah. In so, when Mitch plays and Mitch is a prospect for the, uh, he was with the Red Wings. Now he's with the Edmonton Oilers to see someone who's played in the NHL play deck hockey. Mm. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Like it's a whole nother. Maybe I couldn't have played. Right. The, well, that's what I think the key thing is like to be not play against one guy, but like when everyone's NBA or like division one level, and you're out there and you're competing and you know like hey i can't hang on defense but i can bring the ball up and i can shoot when i'm open like this that's what like when you can see like what can i actually do out here and if you just feel completely lost which a lot of people are you know i mean and everyone's wrong like steph curry when he came out of davidson everyone's like he might be too skinny i don't know if he can get a shot off like it was like a real doubt whether he could do what he did in college in the NBA. And of course he became like one of the best shooters ever. But so what's, you know. I mean, you never know, like, uh, like in hockey, you know, the, these kids are putting up mass. Some of these kids put up massive numbers in mm -hmm. juniors. Yeah. Especially in the, the QMJ, which is the Quebec major junior league. Of course you don't have to tell me. It's mean, well, I know, you know, <laughs> no, I but don't like, uh, it's, uh, at one point was known for offense. Like you'd have guys scoring 70, 80 goals. Yeah. And uh, there was this guy, he was number one draft pick of the Ottawa senators, Alexander Dagg. And this guy in juniors was unstoppable. Mm. And uh, I remember one game, uh, it was Ottawa against, I think it was Carolina. It was either Carolina or Detroit. Cause Steve chase on who's passed, uh, was this, you know, kind of slow defenseman, but very good positionally. They kept trying the same move on him over mm -hmm. and over, and it didn't work once. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like such a step up. Like right. Steve Chason was a, I don't want to say average in a negative way, but like a average, maybe slightly above average defender in the NHL. Mm -hmm. This kid was a super, superstar one level below yeah but in the nhl 
that shit wasn't working. Right. And also in basketball, there's that other added level of this guy is like a playground legend or plays like unorganized basketball, but can he play for like a strict college team right. where you got to practice every day and where you got to run plays. And, you know, that even happens in football. There's guys that just can't, can't hang. So there's this other wrinkle to it. Like, I don't know how often that happens in hockey that a guy is just such a loose cannon and just has pure talent that doesn't want to buy it's, into the coach or whatever, you know? Well, I mean, in hockey, it's different because you have like, you know, 20 guys on the roster. So yeah. it's like basketball, you could maybe get away with it because there's really maybe seven guys who play. I mean, right. You know, so it's, I'm sure it's a tight, tighter knit. You know, in hockey, pretty much all those guys, except for the backup goalie, are playing in that game. Yeah. So it's like, now, nah, dude, this this is, you know, the LA Kings. This ain't the whole Olympics. Right. That's, I mean, that's the whole thing with sports, too, is there's so much, like, you talk about, like, that's why it's so frustrating. It's, there's a, I forget what the movie's called, but there's this guy who's, who's basically like a bigger prospect than LeBron James. They have him playing against Carmelo and LeBron, and he's the big ticket and just spoiled as a 10th grader, 11th grader, never went to school, uh, had all these guys handing him money, and then ended up not even going to college, and then was a like an NBA bust. It wasn't Ben Gordon, was it? No, it was... Uh, docu- I've seen the documentary. Yeah, yeah. It's been something. Yeah, and he's like a cook somewhere now. Yeah. And he's like 300 pounds, and it's... You know, people see it as a huge tragedy, but like that guy actually had to get his life back in order because he was living in a unreal, you know, like, like the, to make somebody, that's why they're always careful about like making, interviewing kids that are still in high school and stuff like that. Cause it's like, it's not real. Like the whole thing with the, the ball family. Great dad. <laughs> Fantastic dad. But it's like, what are you trying to expose your kids to when they're in ninth, 10th grade and now they can't even go to college because you want to make it about, about you. It's just, it's just, I don't know, man. It's really, cause I feel like because I grew up in a small town, I was kind of allowed to develop a little bit. So when I got to where I'm playing in college, I was ready to play against guys. But I think like you, like who knows if you went to like a smaller school and were able to play in ninth and 10th grade and got that confidence, maybe, Maybe I mean, you end up uh, playing somewhere. You I know? don't think I would have been in the NFL, but, uh, you know, I mean. I, well, it's I, not about that, but it's like it gives you confidence in sports and yourself, and maybe you end up exposed to, like, some sport that you, I don't know. Like, it always leads to the next thing, you know. I just don't like when people aren't given the opportunity to do it just because they decide, like, when you're 14 that you're not good enough to play. That's crazy to me. But you now know? they're, like, recruiting and great. Yeah, it's like, crazy. Like, it's it's decided already who's good and who's bad, and I always thought that was a huge mistake. Like, remember, I think it was probably, what, mid-'80s, that Damon Bailey, remember they oh yeah, put him on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 13 because Bobby Knight was recruiting him and offered him, like, a full scholarship when he was in eighth grade. And so all the pressure in the world is on that kid. He never grows. He's six two, so it's like, you know, great college player, but he's not going to play in the NBA. You know? No, I mean it's uh, it's frightening. There's so many things that can go wrong, man. It's it's uh, so so that's why it's like a crazy thing to 
for when these people start talking about, oh, I had a shot at the NFL. It's like, you, you had no shot at all, man. What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> you had like, you had like 10 more things needed to go right to even continue playing. And well, it's, uh, but I think that has prepared us well for stand up comedy. Well, the funny thing is with the league is that you realize the guys that are good actors, they have complete confidence in everything they're doing. Like I practice for hours and hours and I don't expect to make every three pointer anymore because I don't do it anymore. But like Sam Tripoli <laughs> will take a three and get mad when he misses. And it's like, what What made you expect that you're going to make that three, Sam? You haven't played basketball in 20 years. But, yeah, just to have that confidence in playing. Like, you can't go and play hockey if you don't have that confidence, right? Well, I mean, our league's very competitive. So, like, when I tell people ball hockey, they're like, oh, you can't skate. Uh, it's like, no, I just, I don't know. It's like a fun league to play in. But it's very, very competitive. Yeah. Like, there's I'd, fights and, like. Oh, really? I'm not, like, full-on brawls. But, you yeah. know, there's, you know, it's it's people no contact, tested. but it's contact. Like, yeah. You know, I remember, uh. I once took the ball from Mitch and uh, someone, I didn't know who he was at the time. And yeah. I got back to the bench and someone's like, don't tell, don't take the ball from him again. I'm like, why not? <laughs> it's like, he plays in the Red Wings. I'm like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> so I took the ball from him again and I see slash me really hard. I'm like, Oh fuck, this guy's the real deal. <laughs> and he's a great guy. Uh, but you know, it, it's yeah, you it definitely. I mean, it probably translates to comedy. Like, uh, you know, I've never been on TV as a stand-up. So, like, you know, my first time. Like, let's get into your uh, – I, I know it wasn't your first time, but, like, to me, David Letterman, along with Kimmel, are, like, those are the two talk shows I'd – like, if I could do stand-up on, I would pick. I guess, yeah. I guess it's going to have to be Kimmel. But yeah. Like, but, like, Letterman, to me, it was just, like, I, I just love his humor and, like, the dry, almost – just who he is like how like did you have the confidence going that you how long had you been doing stand-up before you did letterman yeah i mean that's the the whole the whole thing was like when you when you start that's kind of like your your exposure to comedy right like we talked about those uh young comedian specials and stuff like that but like on a daily basis there's johnny carson but then dave was like kind of the hip like, I always talk about, like, when I, I saw him in that suit made out of Alka-Seltzer right. jumping in a thing, and it's like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's the show. And uh, so, you know, when you start doing comedy, like, that's, you know, always the thing is like, yeah, you want to do late night, but it, but Letterman is, like, the guy. Like, that's when, you know, when we are doing it, you know, Mitch Hedberg, Gaffigan, like, all the best guys are doing Letterman. So you know what how, what kind of material they have or what's you know i always noticed that like most of these guys weren't jumping around the stage or doing crazy physical stuff it was always like the jokes were great so that's what i kind of concentrated on and you know i didn't get didn't hear anything kind of got turned down a couple times um and then i did the ferguson show which is like the 1230 the you know it was still worldwide pants but i did you know, that was like a huge thing for me to get that break. Lois is having a little panic attack. There, she's good. She's, she's good. good. 
Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that, Lois. Come on, right. Lois. This is live, baby. That's this when is... you know the story is interesting. When no, <laughs> Lois. Let me tell you. For those of you not being able to, we might go to Facebook Live for a second just so you guys can see Lois in her natural habitat. She is <laughs> on her back, legs spread. Uh, she's a big fan of Paul's. <laughs> So you, so before you got Letterman, you studied what kind of comedy was getting on Letterman. Yeah, yeah, and the guys that were doing it, and what the, you know, how did they get on? You know, what, just what the past? Because you know, you started in L.A. I'm assuming I did. Probably the worst uh, city in the world to start in. Yeah, but you're you seeing know, all these people that are successful, and you're like, like you, what's like, that? But I mean, I'm seeing someone like you who. You came to L.A., you were already uh, a seasoned performer. Like, maybe not necessarily stand-up. Right. But you were, like, already, like, had been in front of the camera for years. And, and like, so I was like, oh, fuck. You know, everyone comes to L.A. after they've, like, began someone er somewhere else. Right. And there was a there was a point, is, is funny, I think I came to maybe, like, a comedy store night <laughs> that was in the dark ages no but this is like maybe 2000 uh what around it was right when i was quitting my tv job and i was either gonna move to san francisco la or new york those were the three places that i was like i can i can kind of develop and i came down here and i went to like two or three like random shows and then i think i went to the comedy store one night when it was like a ghost town <laughs> and uh, it wasn't that welcoming well uh but this was back uh what what year would you say that was this is like around like 2000 ish 2000 oh my god yeah that's definitely yeah. uh that we're gonna i'm gonna hit a button here we're starting live video i'll give you a cue <laughs> and we are on facebook live right now that's uh, the great paul morrissey Lois. Lois. You know, this is a, you know, you give the fans a little teaser. <laughs> yeah. On uh, Facebook Live. Let me uh, cue the uh, camera up here. So, so you went to the comedy store in 2000. Very, uh, it's hard to explain. You know, anyone who goes to the store now is like, it's so great. And all the shows are sold out. And you're seeing Rogan, Bill Burr, Papa. Uh, you know, it's just the who's who. There's nights I, I don't even think I should be on the lineup. <laughs> uh, back then, it was not like that. It was, I'd be going on at 10 o'clock. <laughs> you know, it was brutal. Yeah, you had to seek places out. Remember the they had the newspaper? It was it LA Weekly that just had all the shows listed? Right. And you kind of like, so, so that was my like research. I came to LA for like, my sister was living in San Diego. So I came up for like two or three nights and kind of like felt it out that, you know, there wasn't a ton of shows going on. Like a lot of people were doing these open mics and there was only a few clubs, that kind of thing. And then when I went to New York to visit and there was like, you know, 10 or 12 full-time clubs and, you know, it just seemed like that was the best kind of uh, training ground to like, just go full into it. Cause that's, that's what I wanted to do is just be able to do it every night. So, um, so that was the move. And then, you know, I was in New York for three or four years. And um, I think I did the, I got the HBO festival in Vegas. Right. And um, <clears throat> I lost the, I lost like whatever competition or something I was in. But uh, the people from the Craig Ferguson show saw me. 
And so I ended up getting that from, you know, my losing set on on the <laughs> on the HBO uh I forget what it was, a Wendy's <laughs> Wendy's uh challenge. I was in a couple of those weird contests. I was I was a finalist in the Real Men of Maxim comedy competition with Tom Segura and Adam Devine. And uh the prize was to open for Joe Rogan. And uh Segura won. Well, <laughs> he should have won. I know. Uh but I mean that's like uh, I find in those wacky con Lois is stretching on live of Facebook here. Um I should I don't know what she's trying to do now, but uh, all right. Lois is not a kid. She's not ready for the camera. She's going to the pillows now. She, yeah, she's uh, so it's now just Paul here. Uh, but like you look at some of those wacky contests or not wacky, but like, you know, like uh, that fan beat Ralphie May. Right. But who benefited? I mean, Ralphie's had a better career. Yeah. I mean, you got to you got to get put yourself out there at some point. You know what I mean? You're always you're always suspicious of like, I don't want to look stupid or is this going to be a mistake to be exposure? But it, looking back on it, basically like everything that you do kind of leads to the next thing. So I try not to be too, especially now, man. I mean, I got the opportunity to, you know, I think it was Ari Shafir that first started doing like performing in these different countries. And that really interested me that you could tell like this, a joke here and they would get it in Vietnam or they would, you know, you could make a joke that was good enough to work in all these places. So I performed in Switzerland and Amsterdam. And so the last couple of years, I try to do five or six new countries a year. Like I did this Asia tour last year, a big festival. I was just in Mazatlan, Mexico, did a show there. So I'm up for like traveling and kind of taking it to wherever I can. You know, I'm not, I'm not like one of those people like, oh, these people aren't going to get me. I was like, well, I'm a comedian. I have to figure out what makes these people laugh and figure out what I do makes, you know, what, what of what I do will make them laugh, you know, kind of adjust it. But, you know, it's, that's what I really like about it. And that kind of opens things up to do these things that actually, you know, you feel like a slob or a lazy person for being a comedian. And, but what can you can actually do like perform it at like a cancer treatment center or like some charity, or I performed it like a rehab a couple weeks ago in Portland. And it really means so much to these people or armed forces tour or something like that. That's when you feel like you're actually kind of giving back and Hey, maybe just telling jokes is more important than, than you think, you know? Right. And I, I know a lot of comics to go to Iraq and, uh, you know, I think Artie Lang told a story that he was like, he went to the place where like no one can know you're there. So they had to blindfold him in that chopper. And yeah. It's like a black site. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, literally like it was like one, like a James Spader blacklist. Right. Type, you know, he, and then when they, they were done, they had put the blindfold on him. <laughs> That's so, crazy, uh, man. But yeah, they need, uh, you know, humor too. And, and, you know, to do like, well, when you first start out, if somebody says, Oh, can you do, a show for these kids at a cancer place, you're like, uh, that sounds horrible and I don't think I can make them laugh. But now I feel like I perform in all these countries, all these other situations that now, basically, if you put me in a room just about anywhere in the world, as long as they speak English, I can make them laugh for an hour. Like, that's a pretty good feeling, right. you know? So that's that's why I feel like I'm a, 
I'm I'm a comedian if I can do that in every setting, you know. And that's the confidence of doing it this long. It still doesn't, you know, that's not to say it doesn't go well and everything works perfectly, but at least you've put the work in and like you think you can put on a good show for these people, whether, you know, sometimes it doesn't go great. But I mean, you know, that's just part of being a comic. Well, what do you think is a better comedy city? Like if you're like someone like you, like who's already established, you, you know, you know the path you're on, New York or L.A.? Oh, I think always New York is the best, um, you know, just if you want to do stand-up every night, New York is always the place that there's, it's just all about stand-up. Like, it's almost, you know, I saw definitely a lot of people that, you know, like, I was always like, why is, why is Bill Burr still here doing 20 sets a night or whatever like he should be famous already or when i you know when i saw all these it was probably the same seven guys that are well most of them anyway it was you know louis jim gaffigan tom papa uh geraldo dave attell not you know. the singer from uh the 80s greg geraldo yeah greg, not well, neil that's gerardo Gerard. my bad my bad gerardo yeah oh, i thought you meant neil gerardo i thought you were pulling a pat benatar yeah, that's uh, a neil by the way i've had the original bass player from uh pat benatar the great roger caps on this couch the king of the four string and probably my favorite i just made that up by the way i don't and, know if that's true <laughs> probably my favorite inappropriate earl moment ever he brought his guitar he yeah. can play guitar as well. I did oh, not man. ask him to. And, uh, you know, the interview was good. He's, he's a great guy. And I was like, hey, you don't mind uh, since you brought your guitar. My favorite, one of my favorite songs of all time is Shadows of the Night. I'm like, would you play it? Stranger of the Night? No, Shadows of the Night. Shadows of the Night. It was like her first big video. Okay. It's like the Nazis. Oh, we're running with the shadows of the night. There's a lot of boom, boom, clap. Yeah, the great Myron Grumbacher on drums. Bill Paxton's first role has the Nazi radio man and Judge Reinhold fighting for the Allies. Uh, He was one of the pilots took off with Pat Benatar. I just heard some other crazy Bill Paxton thing, too, that... Rest in peace, by the way. Yeah, he directed... A music video or something something crazy he directed that I would have no... That guy had like a crazy career, man. Yeah, I mean, if you... uh, It's weird, like some of the things you could see on IMDb where you look up someone like Bill Paxton who you wouldn't think was in a Pat Benatar video. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it's hard because they don't really have an IMDb for music videos. Or Bill Lambeer played a sleestack in the land of the lost there's only one land of the lost and that's <laughs> not the fucking movie i'll tell you that no much. that's it he was when he was in college or there's high school. no way he played land of the lost look it up i'm telling you he was too young look it up man he would have had to have been my age like yeah high school all right well marshall will and holly on a routine expedition in the <laughs> land. they just needed somebody six foot ten or whatever to fill up the yeah, uh, I think we just talked about we because I thought it was Bill Walton, but I think it was. See, that would make sense, like it, age range. Yeah, uh, but it's like the Predator, you know, uh, played by the great Kevin Peter Hall, died of AIDS, nineteen ninety one. Uh, you ever want to see what the original Predator looked like? Not from the costume, by the way. No, no. Well, that's wait, like, well, Van Damme did wear it before him, so it might have been from You always hear about the Tin Man stories from Wizard of Oz. Didn't all those guys just die of, like, paint 
lead poisoning or something. Well, <laughs> it brings it back full circle. The first celebrity I met at Bel Air Country Club was the cowardly lion, Ray Bolger. Oh, really? Yeah. He was like, he used to play golf up there a lot. And I'd be like, you look familiar. I was such an idiot. I was, you know, 12. I'm like, why do you look so familiar to me, sir? He's like, well, you may have seen a movie I'm in. I'm like, I, I don't think so. He's like, you've seen it. I'm like, what is it? He's like, the Wizard of Oz. I'm like, which one were you? And he's like, I was the cowardly lion. And then I kind of, you look for, at his face. You're like, oh, shit. It's, where's the Tin Man? He's like, he's dead. Oh, my bad. My bad. Did you tell him? I, th- I think he kind of overdid it. <laughs> well, I definitely, uh, you know, well, it goes back to like an hour ago. Like I live in West Hollywood. You live where? I'm in uh, Laurel Canyon, like Studio City. So it's, you know, a lot of celebrities up there. Like now I go to the Ralph's on Olympic and I see the bad guy from Cobra. <laughs> Brian E. Thompson. He won't come on this podcast, but I'll still plug him. Which the teenage version of you would be like, this is the greatest thing ever that I even know this guy. I got so starstruck when I saw him. I literally walked up to him and he's like just there buying fruit. Yeah. And he, he kind of sensed I was standing right next to him. And he just looks at me and goes, Hi. I'm like, <laughs> The law is civilized. I'm not. <laughs> this is where the law stops. You should be filming yourself on this one. And I start, sucker. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> he didn't even remember? No. I'm like, Cobra, dude. Come on, in the fire pit. <laughs> well, and- Comedy Store is like the best place for that because at least you're kind of like, because one of my big ones was, remember John Grease? From uh, I think that's how you say his name. John Reese. No, G R I E S. He played Cousin Rico in the Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. And uh, he came to the comedy store one night, and uh, he played in Real Genius. He's the guy that lives in the closet, Laszlo Hollyfeld. And the fact that I met that guy is still blows my mind. Like that's almost as big as Letterman to me. By like, the way, I'm being corrected online here. Uh, Ray Bolger was the Scarecrow. My bad. My bad. So, Sca- so you met the Scarecrow. Right. I met the Scarecrow. That's what I would have said to the Scarecrow. I was like, don't you think the lion was overdoing it a little bit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Over the top. But, but like it, it's you. Are you gonna show yourself on this? No, almost? no, no one wants to look at me. I, like- I met that guy. John Reese, I I was bombing one night in the original room. Yeah, and there was like seven people in there, and I just I said kept, that like and it happens normally. No, so wait, no, he, it does happen. He normally. went to the show, so he went to the show. It might have been the same night. Yeah, and I'm looking at him, and he starts to put it together. I'm about to say something about yeah. him. I'm like, dude, you were the guy who lived under the Val Kilmer's uh, <laughs> dorm and uh, real genius. Yeah. Uh, How's the kid, Gabe Jarrett? Like I'm such, <laughs> I'm such a fucking nerd. I knew the the, the nerdy kid's real yeah. name, and he's like, I haven't worked with him since that dime. I'm like, oh, my bad. But he was cool. Yeah, he was great, and he was great in, as cousin Rico, and he was also in Running Scared. He's in a lot. Like you remember the two? They were the two. One Gregory of the two, Hines. Yeah, but they were the two young guys. Remember, there's Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines, and then there was the two young guys, and he was one of those. But that you're right, though. That's why I love the comedy store so much is you get to meet the most random celebrities. Yeah. You know, you get to meet, like, you know, one of the Cobra Kai. Yeah. Not William Zabka, <laughs> not Martin Cove, but you get to meet, like, 
Chad McQueen. Yeah. Who and was just like, like a random person that you never, that you didn't even think. Like I just saw, I remember I saw Bernie Casey walking in there one night. Right. And that was like, you know, the Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. That's what I remember, Revenge of the Nerds. Or John Amos, the dad from Good Times. Yeah, really? Is he, he still? He's a comedy guy. Yeah. Like, But, you know, everyone's going up to him, kissing his ass about right. Good Times. He looked at me like, all right, dude, I know you want to say something. Get it out of the way. I'm like, <laughs> hey, I loved you in Die Hard too, And we had a moment. Oh, yeah? Because I have a weird, I have such a knowledge of, character actors and like obscure movies uh mine is mostly like 80s comedies i'm really like real genius better off dead fletch those bachelor like, party yeah like 80 84 to 88 like that's my wheelhouse right there if you were if you even had a bit part in one of those movies yeah uh, and i go right up to those people like i used to live in a building in century city wild building guns and roses drummer lived there uh and the guy who played tom hanks's brother in bachelor, in bachelor party, party yeah. the doctor <laughs> he just moved into the building and he's like hey dude do you know where i can go is there a supermarket around here i'm not familiar with the neighborhood i'm like yeah there's a ralph's on pico dr gasco <laughs> and he looked at me like shut the fuck up <laughs> but i love doing like like i saw cindy crawford down the street once like uh one of the restaurants on santa monica boulevard and you know i just looked at her and like here she's incredibly famous supermodel and right. done a lot of things and i just was like loved you in fair game <laughs> which is maybe the worst movie of all time i think it was her only movie right yeah well, I mean, listen, I love Cindy Crawford. She saw it, but let's be honest. Her as a Harvard lawyer, a little little, yeah. little bit of a reach there. Bit of but, a stretch. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think the best one that I had, like, because this is the thing, is like when you know that somebody's famous is in there, that's a little bit different. Um, but if you randomly see, like I did, uh, I did the improv one night and came out, my parents had just called, and I came out to that front, you know, where the valet right. is. And so I just was calling my mom and Kevin Bacon came out and said, I love the ice cream sandwich joke while I'm talking to my mom. Right. So that was like a cool moment just because you can't even tell your parents that that just happened and they're not going to believe it and nobody will believe it unless that's why everyone takes pictures because I would love to have that. Of me on the phone and Kevin Bacon walking by and saying, you're funny, you know? Like, that's those are the kind of cool moments. When you're not expecting it, that's super crazy. That's I would love more music ones, though, because you, you seem to have a ton of those. Well, I do, but also, like, you know, I'm a huge movie guy, so, like, when Manny from Scarface, the great <laughs> Stephen Bauer, was up at the comedy store... We locked eyes, and it was the same thing. He's like, all right, dude, say whatever. Like, they know when you know who they are. It's something in your eyes that they know. Like, yeah, yeah. They recognize I me. got a good one for you. I was at, um, I forget it was the Ice House or Flappers. I was doing a joke about I can't grow a mustache. And I said I'd love to grow one of those, like, Deadwood mustaches, you know, from the TV show. And this guy comes up to me afterwards and uh, it ends up being uh, Earl Brown, who is, he played, uh, shoot, why am I blanking on the character? He was like, you know, do you watch Deadwood? 
I've never watched one episode. W. Uh, Earl Brown? Yeah. He said, I'm dying up here. Uh, yeah, he's great. He's in everything. And he, he plays the retarded brother and there's something about married. Oh, wow. That's the that's where that uh, whole whole thing comes from. Am I still on Facebook Live? Yeah, yeah, we're still. I don't know if, I can, still, I don't know if I can tell the story on here. Okay, but, uh, well, listen. Uh, th- this has been. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna. Well, but they're gonna hear it on the podcast. That's all right. That'll, that's a teaser, baby. Okay, so doing, yeah, we're gonna we're cut real... off the Facebook Live portion of the show. Say good night, Lois. You know, this was uh, a little bit of a teaser. Uh, Lois, do you want to say goodbye to the fans, Lois? <laughs> pee pee want to go pee pee there we go she knows that that's lois my lovely dog she's the best uh this is the uh we're not ending the podcast now but this is the great paul morrissey paul while you're on the air hold on to get a little blurry do you want to plug your uh where can people find you on twitter uh at paul morrissey or just uh my website's paul has a website.com and that's like it's spelled like the singer morrissey uh, two R's and two S's. Yes. Uh, that's why I simplify with Paul as a website.com because nobody can spell and, and I the, can't people. I spell my name wrong still. So, and, uh, Sharon retweet this, uh, you know, the, this episode will be out tomorrow, but uh, Paul Morrissey is a great dude. You can catch him, uh, headlining all over the country. Uh, you, you can go on, you can, they find your, uh, clips headline and- comedy store in La Jolla end of March, March 28th. March 28th. But uh, doing a bunch of uh, Boston, Chicago, New York City. We're doing Come to Papa Live at the Comedy uh, Village Underground. And what podcast uh, can they find you Come on? Come to Papa with Tom Papa and uh, on Sirius XM Channel 94, Comedy Greats. And uh, Tom Papa's very, very cool dude. Yeah, one of the best. Um, by the way, Stefan Adika is chiming in. Uh, this is like watching one of Bob Crane's uh, homemade movies. <laughs> I know. I feel bad. Like he's just doing the uh, interrogation movie of me. I want. I want Earl in the shot while he's doing his Cobra line readings. Uh, by the way, if you uh, want to buy some real estate in Paso Robles. Uh, please, uh, Stefan Adika, the bass player to the stars, will sell you a good house. Uh, and if you're lucky, he'll uh, take you over to Bernadette's house and uh, get get you a, a, a prize-winning uh, Alaskan Malamute. Uh, inappropriate Earl SoundCloud and iTunes, guys. We're gonna. This is not the end of the podcast. This is just the end of Facebook Live. Uh, here's a picture of me with uh, Stephen Piercy from Rat. Uh, hold on here. Nice. Uh, Stephen Piercy doing the Paul Stanley uh, duck face. And there's my many ball hockey trophies. I still think you made those yourself. It just looks like a ceramic uh, mold that you just did over and over again. Well, that was the first. I'd never done a Facebook Live. Uh, we're going to post this shit. Oh, my God. We had a lot of people. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's good for just to do in spurts like that and then put I- your link for the podcast on there. I'm trying, dude. You know, this is uh, obviously... Uh, you know, I want this podcast to be like Rogan's from the standpoint of he exposes people like a Tony Hinchcliffe, um, uh, Duncan Trussell, uh, Ari Shafir, Joey Diaz. Like, hey, listen to these people. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to do on an obviously much smaller scale. Well, there's uh, certain people that just listen to podcasts and then other people are just kind of interactive all day. So that's why, like, I think that's a good, you know, you'll post nine times you're going to be in Chicago and then somebody will say, hey, 
when are you coming to Chicago? It'll be like right. the day after you're there. So what? it's like whenever you get self-conscious about promoting it, it's like it's never enough. So just keep keep posting it and doing these Facebook lives. You can put the link on. Right. So exactly where to find it and download it and subscribe and all that stuff. So I mean, I'm trying to, uh, you know, just uh, figure out how to, you know, get more followers and stuff. I mean, yeah. It's well, fairly scientific if... You know, I go online and it's like post on Facebook at 10 in the morning. So people are at work and they'll look at their and then uh, for some reason uh, they said the best time to post. If you had to pick one post once a week is Wednesdays at 5 p.m. on Instagram. Oh, really? At Twitter, it's different because so many people are posting that. Yeah. Like you have to post more on Twitter just because. Just keeps getting reset. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, you know, it's never, uh, it's a never ending. Uh, well, I think the way to go is like you get the, the Patreon thing seemed like a good idea because then you get the real, like the actual fans, right? And if they want more stuff, they can get it. And then you still obviously want to get your stuff out there for people who might stumble on to you or just listen to you because they're, you know, somebody's a guest on your show, right? And, you know that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's um. But, I mean, I think this is a good format for you because it's like, you know, this is basically what you do at the comedy store. Like, you're just talking comedy and talking to people about sports and oh, I love it. music. I mean, and, you know, and it's just to get to uh, talk to someone like you who, like, it, I always say this, like, I consider you a good friend, but yet we don't know each other that well. Right, right. Yeah, like, I didn't know about you growing up here and all that kind of stuff, and you had a... An older gentleman driving you around and yeah, driving Miss Daisy. Something might have happened. Uh. Nothing happened. I've never been molested. Uh, <laughs> I, although I have been casting couched twice. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> and one. I mean, actually, both were by very legitimate people in the business. Yeah. I, you know, and you know, it, it's like I guess at the time I never really. I mean, looking back now with this whole Me Too and harassment stuff, I, I go, wow, that was kind of fucked up. Right. You know, before I was just like, ah, oh, it's just part of the business. Well, I'm always like, I mean, it goes back to the f- freaking Godfather, right? The, <laughs> I mean, the whole storyline to that, the horse head in his bed was basically that uh, he was the owner of the studio <laughs> and uh, some other guy had sex with his lead actress and he was having sex with her and he didn't want anybody else to have sex with her, so... <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. And she, you know, and she basically got out of the business because this guy, you know, this guy didn't want her anymore after she had slept with this Italian guy. So well, you wouldn't last long in roast battle, I'll tell you that, Bob. I mean, uh, it's a, you talk about six degrees of separation. It's like two degrees. Uh, yeah. Do you find that that's like it's almost too inside to a point? Like I like it because I know everybody. But I always wonder if, like, yeah, I mean, there's so many other jokes that could be told. I mean, I just remember it from you guys kind of just picking on each other. And <laughs> and that's kind of how it started anyway, right? Well, I think on the TV show, like, you know, obviously someone in Winnipeg isn't going to know that, you know, of my relationship. Like, say you and I roasted, you know, just a, it's not the best example because I know you don't do it, but, like, you know, if you and I roasted, we're, you know, we're going to rip into each other. Well, you dated this person. Well, you fucked this person. Well, yeah. they fucked this person. And some dude in Winnipeg's going, well, I don't know who that person is. So right. I don't really get the joke. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
but uh you know it's still an awesome show and uh you know it's gotten me a lot of things so uh you know i'm very very grateful to no me. you're good at it man so well I mean, a- you know i'm like a i'm like an 80s metal guitar player who sold out you know <laughs> it's not my style of humor you know like cc deville from poison if you look at him you wouldn't think this guy's a classically trained guitar player but you know he grew up you know learning classic music and playing the violin and the you know classic guitar and and then i'm sure in the mid 80s in pittsburgh where he was from it's like okay i'm not making any money doing uh, beethoven on guitar right i gotta move to la i gotta dye my hair blonde play pink guitars and you know <laughs> and now he's a multimillionaire. so i mean it, it's because uh, i don't like like if i had to roast you you've always been incredibly nice to me you you know help me with jokes and and like giving me career advice which i look up to you a lot on i would have trouble going well you're let me look at what i can make fun of you about well <laughs> you know i just but you know it, in my case i i haven't been on tv as a stand-up yet and like I gotta get on somehow at some point. I'll do this. Yeah, but I mean, it's just a a discipline of. It's not like you selling out. It's like you're. It's something that you do. So obviously, but I I think certain comics are bullies, mm-hmm. and they get off on. Oh, I love Earl. He's a great guy, but he's got a big forehead. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, his parents died two months apart. That's hilarious. Like. I think if you are for more of a bully, not, I mean, roast battle isn't bullying, but like, you know, I, I think if uh, you've been bullied yourself as a child right. or whatnot, you're a little more comfortable with going, well, Paul Morrissey is, uh, he wrote for uh, this show on FX that got canceled. Hey, Paul, why don't you write my next Verizon contract? Yeah. You know, or well, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, well, Here's the the thing with me is like, you know, and this is what me and Artie Lang used to talk about a little bit was most comics are from like a nerd, like they're not from a, uh, not that I'm a great athlete, but I'm from like a sports background. So I was a small kid and I'm playing basketball with all these giants. And so to have a sense of humor and to be able to make fun of those guys without getting beat up. Uh, right. You know, because you get to the point where I don't know about you, but like when I was in college, the older kids would want me around because I would say funny things or make fun of people, yeah. but they didn't take it like, oh, this guy's messing with me. It's no, Paul busts balls a little bit. So that's what he does. But then when you get to comedy, everyone's so sensitive that like they're, they're on a different thing than, uh, you know, from that sports background that, that, uh, you know, if you tell me an insult and it's not funny, then why why isn't that an aggressive move by you? Right. You know, <laughs> like if, if somebody says, yeah, you're a real loser. It's like, that's not a joke. That's just you saying something mean. You're going to get punched in the face. You know, that's what that's what it would be like in the the, uh, you know, the, in kind of the athletic world. Like if you're you know, it's all those in Slapshot or the football mm-hmm. movies where guys are just making fun of each other. But if they're actually saying, hey, you suck, you let in the winning goal, we should kick your ass off the team. That's like fighting words. That's not an insult or that's not, you know, a roast. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think there's I think people sometimes confuse roasting with roast battle, you know, like mm-hmm. 
if I'm roasting you, it's like I'm gonna I might make fun of a TV show you yeah. wrote on or. I don't know, like something about your career. Right. But at the end of the day, I'm going to go, well, I wish I was on Letterman like you were. I wish yeah. I was on Ferguson like you were. I'm I'm a fan. But what it turns into is like, if you're going to do 10 jokes about how ugly somebody is <laughs> and then try to like backtrack and say, I, I still love you, buddy. It's like, no, but you still think that I'm ugly because mm-hmm. you made 10 jokes about it. And everyone's laughed at it now, so <laughs> right. I mean, like, well, like with roast battle, though, it's like more like, you know, I'm not trying to pay tribute to you. Yeah, I'm going. Okay, well, your ex girlfriend fucked this guy, and he's right over there. How's that? How's that make you feel, Ralph? Because <laughs> I'm trying to fuck with their head, so whatever they're thinking about me is going to get right. maybe they flub a line, and then yeah, I'm, you're thinking of it as like different levels. I'm just talking about like if you just did. If you were, if you walked in and bust balls like you were on a football team or right. a basketball team, somebody, or- Orny Adams is going to start crying and get really upset over it and try to like fight you back. But I'm saying like another guy who played sports or maybe, sure. maybe isn't that sensitive to it is going to be a little more, you know, like uh, willing to go along with it. You know, that's why those sports movies are so great because they do pick on each other and they do make fun of each other and they're able to kind of set it aside but there's got to be jokes that roast battle that are that sting or wow i'm i'm sorry i even said that to this guy because you know what i mean oh like, yeah, well i mean i've never you know uh i think like you we, just told me one but like <laughs> wait what joke did i just tell you about like when you're fighting against jesse and uh, oh yeah but but with Jesse, like you know, uh, and Jesse Joyce, uh, I can't say enough nice things about him. Amazing comic, yeah, great writer, one great of the comic. best writers in L.A. Uh, or not even in L.A., just in comedy. Uh, but you know, I respected him so much that I was like, "Hey, is there is there any subject you don't want me to joke about?" Like he knew what I was asking too, right? You know? uh, and he's like, "No, come at me." And of course, as a comic, you don't want to say you want to you don't want to filter it, but there's obviously things that are gonna there's a respect level, hurt. yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, you know, if you like the person you're roasting, <laughs> like. Uh, but just think about that context in real life. Just hey, Paul, just say the meanest thing that you can about me right now. Like that's opening up a big pandora's box right oh absolutely <laughs> well what i think should happen more in roast battle like but i'm a very competitive person in all honesty so like mm-hmm. uh you know it, I, I don't know if i'll ever battle again you know i never say never but <laughs> I, I feel sorry for the next person i do because i go all in like i i don't write one stand-up joke i obsess on the person i'll put their face on every i'll put their face on my phone my ipad my <laughs> i mean i think of nothing but this person you and, remind me of the the did you see the rick flair 30 for 30 yeah. like you remind me of him before the plane crash right I, I live and then and then you change into this thing. <laughs> yeah. Well it's like it's competitive. Like especially if you're on oh, TV. Yeah. Like you don't want to embarrass know, yourself. The one joke I told against Jimmy Carr that bombed a Comedy Central show that in fucking slow motion. <laughs> you know, it was, I, I'm still embarrassed by that joke. Yeah. I, it uh, sucks. So I you know, I just got nervous. I was very nervous and uh you know, it's like you're looking out directly at Jimmy Carr who's got like this 
Christian Bale, American Psycho yeah. exterior of just nothingness. And he's the nicest guy, but... Uh, well, I mean, I will say, like, because, uh, you know, we talked about the Letterman thing quick, but, like, that was one of the best things about that was I had done... You know, I was lucky enough to do four spots on the Craig Ferguson show. So that kind of got me in the mode of like, this is how you develop these five minute sets and, you know, editing and all that kind of stuff and what to do and what not to do. Cause I had a couple, like the second time I, you know, you know, basically you have every word and every kind of everything's timed out perfectly to what it's going to be. And you have everything all set. And, uh, I was on with, uh, Jeremy Roenick was the other guest and uh, Chris Rock was doing the Tyra Banks show next door and just happened to like come in, wave, right, and then leave. And then, and then the producers come up to me and they're like, Hey, you got to take uh, 30 seconds off your set. So, this is the set that I've been working on over right. and over and over again and had it down. And then now you got to take 30 seconds off. So, that experience kind of loosened me up to whatever situation you're in, you're just going to do the best of what you have and, and kind of, so when I got to Letterman, it was the same thing where I had the set already and, you know, flew to New York and run it for a few days and got through the producers and no changes need, needed to be made. But, um, and I was all set to go, had my suit, everything, I was ready to go. And Regis Philbin was the guest and he just kept talking and I didn't really notice. I'm making sure my fly is not unzipped or anything last minute like that. And, you know, the producers, I see the producers from the hallway just like go, go like this. And then they're like, it was almost like somebody died. And, uh, I was like, what's going on? They're like, yeah, I'm really sorry, but you know, we're, we're going to have to, to bump you. And so bump basically means that you got bumped off the episode. Right. And it's basically because Regis Philbin talked too long. So I didn't really understand at the time. I was like, oh, okay. Like I wasn't mad or anything, but they seemed like really let down and upset. And uh, David Letterman apologizes to like me and my parents on the air and promotes my CD and said, hey, he's going to be here as soon as we can get him back. And uh, we really wanted to have Paul on instead of Regis talking too long. And so it almost made it because, you know, like sometimes when you do these TV things, nobody even really believes it. Like when you say you're doing Letterman, people here are like, yeah, right. Because everyone's so, so full of craft these right. days. You know, you never know what a real oh, credit yeah. is. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was almost like, well, David Letterman just said Paul was going to be on. So he's definitely going to be on. And then uh, and then in the meantime, he announces his retirement. So then I don't even know if I'm going to be on the show and then, but then I do get the return date. And so the, the kind of long answer to that thing is like, so basically the first time I did everything, but the set, you know, I saw the theater was there for the show, had the nerves of about to being done, done it. And then, so the second time when I did it, everything was like so much easier. Like the, right. all the pressure was off because I'd done it before, you know, now I just get to do the jokes. I had an extra month to work to, right. to make sure the set was where I wanted it to be. Like, so by the time I did it, I was almost like tired of doing it, you know, like I was ready and I enjoyed it. You know, that was, that was the coolest part is like to have the set that you knew was going to work and just kind of enjoy that thing. You know, it was a blast. So it was like, and I wouldn't have had that enjoyment if I had gotten it when 
when I thought I needed it, you know, right. seven or eight years in or whatever, and and hadn't done all those Ferguson spots before that. So, you know, it's uh sometimes it's a good thing to kind of get the things you really want a little bit later on. You know, that was only two years ago. So, you know. Like, how do you go about like a five minute set? What 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 is it exactly? Four minutes and well, the funny thing typically? is, yeah, when I was so my job when I was a weekend sports anchor was you're cutting all these highlights and uh, it was four minutes and fifty seconds was my segment and that's like spot on like you right. run in commercials there's no you got to be done as soon as you, there's no going over there's it. no running the light on a <laughs> yeah. letterman or any talk show. <laughs> But this was like when I was a sports anchor, I got to be exactly on time too or else the producers screwed up and the commercials don't get run right. So I was very conscious of what four minutes and 50 seconds is, you know? Right. So by the time... So the weird thing was when I got to do Letterman, it was four minutes and 50 seconds, exactly the same. Right. Isn't that weird? That like That's crazy. <clears throat> so it was almost like I had this kind of innate thing of how long that is. And because I had done it so much as the sports anchor you just every show is four minutes and 50 seconds so i could even feel when it was going a little bit long right so so yeah so that was that was how long it was and the kind of only extra story i have is so at the end of it they they have express uh directions to not small talk with dave or don't do anything weird we'll come and get you like after you shake his hand like don't try to like follow him back to the desk or anything you know so i'm sure it's happened and uh well the other cool thing that you'd appreciate is so the paul schaefer's band great band amazing band paul schaefer's like i think he's the curator does all the rock and roll hall of fame stuff wrote wrote it's raining men Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> so I bet he did. And played with every musical genius. Uh, so basically, you can pick any song that you want for them to play you on with, like anything. So that was like a huge what thing What did you pick? Me. So after much deliberation, I picked uh, Lawyers, Guns, and Money by Warren Zevon because Zevon was such right. like a such a fixture on the show and it was like a cool homage like i thought i was gonna pick like a foo fighters or something like from a current band just so i could say someday like hey i used your song for letterman but it was such a good because you gotta remember they're playing you on so you know from play on music you can't play uh acdc or something crazy and then just talk for five minutes. You know, you've got like cannons blasting and then it's just you. So you got to have something that's like kind of cool, but introduction. And so that's why that lawyers, guns and money is just that. So that was like, so that was my song. And then at the end, set goes great. So much fun. Um, and, uh, you know, you're basically, I could hear Dave laughing a couple times, which was awesome. And they told me afterwards, like, what jokes he was laughing at, which kind of shows you, like, the the climate of that show was like, they're just such an awe that they're even watching what he's laughing right. at during <laughs> during the set. And, uh, and so the musical guest, her name is Kaiza. She's a pop singer. And she had, like, a huge hit at the time. And uh, he says, uh, that's all he has to say is, thanks, thanks, Paul, very funny. And by the way, I know when he says what he says at the end to people that aren't funny. So I know what he right. said. He liked me because I've watched Letterman so many times and I know like the 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 diss uh, stuff. Right, like beat it. Yeah. Well, no, but basically like, thanks for coming. 
like he says like a bunch of things that right. shows he didn't enjoy, but he's, but it, so that made me feel good. And then, so he introduces, he says, stay tuned for Kaiser. And then, so we're shaking and I just stay there. And then all of a sudden, like the producers come up and then they're just like, and, and I still don't know if I, I think I definitely heard him say this, but he's like, I fucked it up, Paul. And I don't know if he said I fucked it up, Paul, or I just fucked it up. But basically the producers came and he said, said her name wrong, basically what he did. Mm. So they wanted me to, basically they told him how to say it and they wanted me to recreate the end of my set. <laughs> which, oh. Which, oh, wow. Which I was still, it, the, it was the worst way of trying to overact something. So basically I'm trying to pretend I just finished Letterman and I was like, oh, thanks everybody. Right. <laughs> and then walk and then shake his hand again. And they ended up using the first one mm. anyway. So, but I got to do this kind of like second take with Letterman on the thing and have this extra couple minutes on the stage and stuff like that. So that was, that was a blast. And I just did a show in Toronto and guess who came to the green room? Paul Shaver. Kaisa. Oh shit. Yeah. Really? Yeah. She lives in Toronto. So we still, uh, we're just talking about, you know, cause she did this famous thing where she like did this dance number outside. Like they started inside the theater and then went through, like Broadway, like right. on the street through like these fire hydrants and she was like soaking wet and Letterman like hugged her at the end and got a suit all wet and stuff. I think she did it on uh, Kimmel too, like through Hollywood Boulevard. It's like a really famous thing. She, I think she did Letterman, Kimmel and Saturday Night Live like in the same month. It's crazy. Kimmel's my boy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was like kind of everything that you wanted it to be. And, you know, I did Latterman and like, you know, Brian Regan and Ray Romano's manager signed me like the next day and like That's all this. Awesome. Yeah, it was like everything that kind of should have happened. You know, like you always imagine it like, oh, this should have happened for me 10 years ago or whatever yeah. like that. It just felt like everything kind of happened when it was supposed to happen. So, but you are proof to you young comics <laughs> out there good things happen to good people. And by the way, if I ever did Letterman, uh, knowing that the drummer in the David Letterman band is the legendary Anton Fig, yeah, who played on Kiss's Dynasty and Unmasked albums. Uh, oh, really? Uh, Peter Chris was on the album covers, but Mr. Fig was drumming. I would have ah. had them play "I Was Made for Loving You." Just a little inside joke. <laughs> that was that's actually a good one, I think. Well, you know, it's it's not good now when they play it because those high notes. They're a little low, a little low. Yeah, and people ask me, you know, he's still close with Dave, and, uh, you know, I'm going to see his show tomorrow, so we still keep in touch. Yeah, I mean, you're you're getting in on that Netflix gravy train. <laughs> That's right. Where uh, you got a special coming out? A real humdinger. It's um, it's gonna be streaming. Uh, I think it looks it looks good. I'm not. Uh, so how, what's the deal on that? How do people? You can uh, j go just go to paulhasawebsite.com. That'll give you all the streaming links and all that kind of stuff. So that's the main the main hub for it. But yeah, it's 40, 45 minute uh, special that I taped over the summer, and uh, yeah, I'm really proud of it. It was it was a blast to do. So, and it's like TV clean, like it's it's broadcast clean basically. So you can kind of just watch it. Um, I don't know. I know nobody who listens to this has kids, but I don't either. Like you, <laughs> You could. I don't want to know. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to keep my fans between me and this mixing board. Keep an arm's length. No, my fans are the best. That was why I love doing uh, 
the Skank Fest Comedy Festival in New York, because mm-hmm. it's basically a podcast. It's not a podcast comedy festival, but it's basically like all the comics who are popular on podcasts, right. like Ari Shafir and uh, Jay Okerson, and, and yeah, it's like you you get to see the fan. You get basically get to see who listens to your podcast. Yeah, it, it is awesome. crazy. Like I've done. You know, when we did shows in Amsterdam, there was people that listened to Ari's podcast or heard him on Rogan or it's it. It is so crazy. That's one of the fun things about going to all these like cities and countries that you do. There's people like, oh, I heard you on like some podcast three years ago, <laughs> you know, and it's like, wow, I I I don't know. You never know what people listen to, you know, they're so loyal and just happy to meet you and like, hey, I'm one of your supporters, so I, I loved it. Uh, all right, guys. Paul Morrissey's the real deal. Hey, thanks, Earl. Dude, thank you. And a lot of people don't know this. This is a two-hour and ten-minute podcast. We talked for like an hour before. This is no joke. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, we had to... We had to do an off-air podcast. You know, there's a lot of things that aren't uh, aren't ready for public consumption. You know, we won't say what. Uh, just, you know just sometimes uh, you know things have to be said that uh, within the uh, privacy of uh, the, the dome of silence like in Get Smart well I will say if there is any accusations about Earl just the fact that they would put the accusations in a newspaper and then say he hosts the inappropriate Earl podcast please that I might be two do. strikes against you <laughs> you might have to change the name at least no to- no I'll keep it dude. controversy <laughs> sells dude. I've never been inappropriate with any girl you know I'm I don't I'm think good. you've been inappropriate on this podcast the only thing I've seen has been uh, Lois so far just Lois kind of showing full frontal showing for the Facebook live people showing your uh, <laughs> starfish <laughs> uh, Paul Morrissey uh, Twitter Instagram it's just at Paul Morrissey paulswebsite.com paulswebsite.com he's really one of the good dudes and not just LA comedy but LA New York all of comedy you'll see him uh, i'm assuming in montreal this year uh you know uh, you might see me up there never say never uh, <laughs> but yeah i got a ton of tour dates i go everywhere so san francisco chicago boston new york we're in once a month we do the come to pop alive where we have like a bunch of great comics and sketches and stuff like that so yeah i'm always traveling and gigging so there's no excuse not to catch Paul because he literally yes. is all over the country and world. So uh, he makes Eddie F look lazy. So uh, <laughs> Eddie likes to do. I think Eddie F has a show in Botswana coming up. <laughs> Eddie if No, I try to put in my time in in the U.S. I think it's good to just get that taste. You know, like I was in Mexico. I think for two days. That was just a good break from from uh, right this green here. You got to get there before they build the wall or yeah. whatever. <laughs> That's gonna take a while. Eighteen billion. Fuck that. Inappropriate Earl, guys. SoundCloud and iTunes. When this comes out, share it, retweet it, uh, whatever. It helps with the numbers, baby. And uh, we'll uh, see you. Uh, the next episode is the great Patrick Kinnison, lead guitar player of the Lita Ford Band. Whoa. Patrick's gracing us with his presence. We'll talk a little Kiss Me Deadly and get into it. Talk nice. about musical open mics. Inappropriate Earl. See ya. See ya.